That's it. No more Mr. Nice Duck. So we watched Deliverance. And did I, yeah. I told you, right? Um, yeah. Yes, and great, brilliant, lovely. And I am going to try and track down Southern Comfort just for the comparison. But yes, that was that was lovely, Jimmy. And that was all because of you. So very uh, nice. What, what fun interventions. Then Manager Sunday Morning Special this last week. I'm trying to think why. Oh, we had guests over Saturday night. And um, so we had quite a full weekend. Man, I won't say I won't even look at you. I'm just going to tell you I'm <laughs> deep into the last season of Succession and very right. enjoying that. So just okay, good. Ted <laughs> Lasso, I feel was the same sort of thing last season is wobbling a wee bit. It's introduced some okay. superfluous characters that you're like, we don't really spend time with these guys. This is our last dance with the ones we love. Like, come on, enough already. And then right. And then what was the other one I wanted to say to you quickly that we've been watching? Oh, well, again, Yellowstone season five are up to now, ships, and that's oh, nice. that's bloody fun. Nice. And then we've had that's a good stuff. We, we've just, we're, I think we're two episodes into season three. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Hey, you know, um, uh, Beth Dutton is a yes, British lady. Yes, right? yes, yes. That's absolutely Yeah, because I. I yeah, no, good for her. But she was in the Sherlock Holmes films. I know that doesn't mean yeah. anything, but she's awesome. And she was in, but yeah. I always know her yeah. from the chick from what he did make um, with Fast Amazing. Vector. Amazing. So she, she, she is played by Kelly Riley. And like, do, mm-hmm. I had to get the name because it's such a good performance on that. But yeah. when you see her on YouTube, I think it's even more startling than um, old Killing Eve's uh, Villanelle. Like it's just an even more turning out to be well to do lots of know. European accents and what is is sort of considered easier, but doing yeah. a really specific, not just a you know generalized American, but like something that specific. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just because Villanelle as well. I mean, it's it's still enough to take nothing away from Villanelle. I don't, the comparison is silly, but I will just say then that really, I I think it's the accent and it's just the transform like. The negative energy that just comes with Beth Dutton, it's almost kinetic on the screen, isn't yeah. it? Extraordinary. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And, um, and look, it's like a sort of a, um, it, it's not, you know, I don't know, uh, Laura Linney from Ozark and, and an incredibly sort of um, prestige performance. And it's not necessarily a prestige show. It's very glossy and fun. But... Flipping heck, it's still a brilliant performance within a glossy show. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know like whether she's won any awards or not, but she's great. So fair play to her. Yeah. She it's a it's a good meaty role with lots of good scenes and dialogue. And again, the character is so interesting and broken and angry and strong and all of this. So yeah, she gets she lives up to the potential of the source material and the, the writing. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy. Yes. Shall sir. we jump in? I think because I'm excited. To. Yeah, yeah. We have to because funnily enough, I've I've gone off on one a little bit um of my pitch. So we probably do need to for the sake of the world. <laughs> nice. If we can beat the Indiana Jones record, I'll be impressed. But you never know. 
<laughs> I've got a lot of notes to share with you for my watch. But anyway, 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 we will get to all of that, Sheppy. Let me jump in and say, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Hello, I'm Sheppy. And we are the What If podcast for movie sequels, spin-offs. Uh, TV uh, extra seasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, taking beloved IP, nurturing it, fondling it. I've lost yeah. it. I've lost it. <laughs> well, it was already it was already crashing, but 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 it's okay. You you pulled the ejector seat just as you went into a bridge. <laughs> you definitely want to sabotage it, didn't I? I don't know why I put fondle in. No, no, it was good stuff. Um, it was good stuff. Yeah. I like it. I like it all. And yes, Jimmy. So we are all of those things. And I'm excited. I set the film sequel today. Uh, and it's one of those ones. There are various categories of like you know, the prestige, big ones, the ones that are important to us, the ones that, you know, we really mustn't fuck up. Then there's like the ones that I just, you know, basically personify my sadism and just like, I'm going to throw this one at Jimmy because I know he hasn't seen it and I want to see what happens. And also it's a famous film for a lot of reasons that it probably doesn't want to be famous for. So with that in mind, Jimmy, what film did I set you and me? And you. Uh, <laughs> Howard the Duck, Sheppy. Howard the Bloody Duck. And yeah, a film I have never seen and was very surprised by in lots of levels. And I've got a few notes, a good well, piece worth of bullets to not... share with you, but we can get to all that in a minute, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's not much we need to do before we can get to that. I mean, let's just say this. I, I think I think Kelly Riley sorted herself out. That's okay. We've got that covered. That's in the bank. No one can take that away from you. I'll say this. Yes, Howard the Duck. And it, we, but we're coming at it from totally different angles. It's similar in many ways, you might say, as to, for example, the cat from outer space, although that's actually good in its own special way. But we'll get to that. Well, no, we won't get to that. But it's one of those weird ones where I've seen it a fair amount actually more than I even thought I had not as much as I had seen the cat from outer space but there you go with this in mind I was um I'll, I'll quickly go through I mean I think in 1986 I saw Howard the Duck at Crown Cinema now I can't swear to that but I I think I did and I definitely rented it out from Village Video and I definitely taped it off BBC One when it was probably on at Easter or something. And I watched it from that taped video. Um, and then there was a gap, uh, the wilderness years, where throughout the, you know, most of the 90s and into a probably around 2006 or something, I didn't see it, I don't think. And then on one of my drunken back from the pub, playing a joke on my future sober self moments, I ordered, probably at the same time as Jumping Jack Flash, um, Howard the Duck. In fairness, it was like with commentary and um, Leah Thompson came back and for the documentary and stuff. So it wasn't just like a, a bare bones. This one had feathers. Yeah, there's a poster Amazing. point there. Um, so I watched it then for the first time in, a, in a, quite a while, I think. And then I watched it maybe a few times since then. And I'm sure I did all of the extras. Uh, no Easter eggs, surprisingly. Ah, ah. Anyway, so then I saw it with Martha, like about, I don't know, four or five months ago. And not in preparation for setting it, we just watched Howard the Duck. And at a certain point, I was like, well, this has to be a Shoulders of Giants entry. And I, so I've had it in sort of like on the back burner for a little while. Um, 
And so, yeah, it seemed after the epic that was indie, this would be like a little sorbet. But to be honest, Jimmy, I mean, I haven't done, I haven't gone off that much, but I have written a, you know, it's not, it's not skimpy. I'll say that. So, well so played. fair play. We give the respect it doesn't deserve. So that, so I like that as well. Um, thoughts? I meant Can I ask you first, just yeah. to ease in? Um, is there a reason other than the obvious that it has a negative reputation as a famous flop, um, which is famously quote unquote bad? Did you was there a reason you had never seen it? Or is that the reason? Maybe it's just never really occurred to me and that's just so silly I've, it's, it's, no, it's valid. a title and a poster that i you know i i kind of is right wedged in there is probably a video i've held many times when we've debating been debating what to get out you know what i mean so it's kind of been um there and interestingly i've put as one of the points was just got i think it's the egg and the eggs cracked and whatnot and i just i assumed like for the last 40 years or whatever, like that he would be younger and maybe go on a bit more of that kind of vibe. And um, and then, so it, it was a, a pleasant, jarring feeling to kind of, you know, the, the immediate thing you see is this sort of middle-aged guy sort of thing, or maybe a bit younger, you know, coming back to his apartment and, and it being very adult. And it was like, oh, yeah. that's, that's, um, that's quite fun. And I'm quite happy with that, you know, and it, so that was like yeah. all my life I thought how the duck was about a, a younger duck, shall we say, you know, and so right. quite interesting. Where he's a bit even if he is basically young, if he's meant to be in his late twenties, for example, he might not be. I mean, I'm sure at one point you see his driving license or something, and if you look, maybe it says. Um but I I get the impression that he's certainly world weary, even if he's too young technically, he's like a 35-year-old world weary person, which happens. I've known a few 11 year old world weary people. So <laughs> yeah, in my mind, I, I think I guess I see him as about 35. He's lived a bit. Yeah. And I and it had I known Sheps that that was the tone, particularly the first half of the film, because it does feel that like he sort of gets younger over the course of the film. But anyway, it's the whole thing like around the voiceover and the action the way he acts. But anyway. The um the first half of the movie, if I'd known what that was, I I I wish I'd seen it earlier because I think there's there is some beers and fun to be had with elements of that first half, and there are some yeah. fun little moments and that sort of thing. So the the end is Police Academy Four exhausting, like exhausting, and I'll talk a little bit about that later as well. Like it just goes on and on and on, um, but uh, but I um. Yeah, so I had beyond that, Sheps had no real. It's never one that we really. I mean, beyond as I say, it probably was in our mitts once or twice when we were in the video shop. But um, we never. I never have a view of it as being an R movie or thinking about it as us. No, no. I don't like remember that. ever, you know, having my hand wavering over it when we were searching <laughs> when the guy wouldn't give us Karate Kid two because it was a fifteen and we'd already told him we were eleven. <laughs> but other than that, ridiculous. But. <laughs> <laughs> regardless of that so no, I've never connected it to you, you know what, though? Um, and I don't know if we were ever tempted I don't know no I I, I, I have an association of it with uh, and I can't even remember the name of the movie now there's a Bruce Willis movie I think it's called it's not Brazil but it's like uh, anyway it was up at the bar what's that no yeah that one yeah no no is that where he's a bunny rabbit no am I making yeah it? no this is a different one it's a bit more of a period one and 
I'll, I'll look in the under gear like fix you. Like, yes, maybe that. And then it was that. And how with the duck up in the spa? And I always remember those two together in the spa. So right. Anyway, oh, well, that, yes, of course, because North was like ten years later. So fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Sunset is Blake Edwards, and it's really shit. He made it um, after Blind Date, I think. But yeah, it's really bad. But fair play, Howard the Duck's much better. I'll say this, I think Howard the Duck, it, it, the reason, the main reason, in my opinion, why Howard the Duck totally failed at the box office is simply because it's totally massively inconsistent. Forgetting about the second half, which I'm going to talk about in a sec, but it's got all the bits like, yes, he's world-weary and he's an adult, and that's great. Uh, Breeders of the Lost Stork, by the way, pretty special, pretty special. But then it goes beyond that because it has like the condom joke and the booby joke. You see the duck boobies and stuff. You see duck nudity. Um, it's like it has this real, you know, um, fits the cat wannabe vibe going on, like a bit more adult skewing. But then it's really, really kiddie in a lot of it and real sort of fun adventure, which is great, but it needs to be one or the other and it tries to be both and it totally doesn't work because of that. That's my thought. And the other thing I'll say is it doesn't help that I don't think anyone ever found Tim Robbins likable in that film, even Susan Sarandon. In fact, I think she probably waited too long, like yourself, then saw have the duck and that's why they got divorced. I'm saying that for the record, nonetheless, that's a that's a problem. He's got a real Matthew Modine, especially at the beginning. He he sort of redeems himself a bit, but he is I find him very unlikable in it. But it's also one hundred percent two films. It's the first film, which is the him arriving, meeting Leah Thompson, having that adventure, flying. Harold, Harold, we've lost our wings. Welcome to the club, and all of that. That's the end of number one. Then the dark sequel with the uh, the Overlord and everything. And it turns into this monster film. Great. And then the third film is The Last Crusade and it brings it all back. Da, da, da. Um, perfect. But um, it, instead, they're like, this film's going to bomb. Let's just make the first film basically two films, a totally different tone. And within the tone of the first half, it's going to be massively inconsistent anyway. So it's uh, it's not a clean egg. It's an omelette. It's scrambled, Jimmy. It is scrambled. Uh, that's my theory. That's my theory. I but I will say... I. Non-ironically, and very ironically, I do like Howard the Duck as a film. I think it's fun, and I think it's funny. I like Howard, and there's a lot of potential. And it, and it's got Jeffrey Jones being amazing and totally scary as well. A uh, hell of a cast. Well, pretty good cast. I agree. When you see it, the cast was exciting to see pop up, for sure. For sure, Leah Thompson, Tim yes. Robbins. Yeah, but I Jeffrey thought about Jeffrey Jones as well. And I was thinking about you, of course, and that you know. So I was—I didn't know if you knew he was in it. So I was I excited. I was tittering behind the fingers. I didn't. It was very exciting to see that. I'd be honest. I—I I did know somewhere that Tim Robbins was in it, but I had forgotten as well. So when that popped yeah. up, that was nice too. And I—I uh, I was going to do a little Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon have divorced. <laughs> Yeah, and I really went after Robbins there, and I don't really know why. He only really annoys me in a couple of scenes, and he does redeem himself, like I say. So to compare him to Matthew Modine, I think was below the belt, so I take that back. But nonetheless, um, they're really yeah. Going for no, it. They're calling the characters it's filthy or something, so they're really like yes. laying it on thick, like he's yes, yes. a fun, nice character. It's just it's, it's very jarring. 
Um, he starts off as very unlikable, and his actions are unlikable. You know, he steals the feathers. He wants to be rich and famous. He's like the needy, wanky ex-boyfriend of Bev, and all of that. I think, right? He's the ex. I think so. so, I think so. Either that, or he's someone who's always been lecturing onto her, just like a real Lewis from down the hall wannabe. But I think he's an ex-boyfriend, which is much worse. Um, but there you go. I'll also say, well, one thing that occurs to me is everyone was having a really good year. So, I mean, <laughs> it depends on your point of view, of course. But 86, Tim Robbins was in this and Top Gun. And Leah Thompson was in uh, Space Camp and this. Uh, so good on her. And um, Jeffrey Jones was in Beulah. So amazing. All at the peak of their powers. Yeah, well, 86 for life. I mean, Robin's obviously uh, coming into the peak of his powers, but still, yeah, amazing. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. And, and I, I've got that. As, look, I'll tell you what, I, I, I have this. And isn't it written by the people who did Temple of Doom as well? Like Gloria mm-hmm. Katz and Thing wow. Midi. I think so, yes. Um, yeah, it could have been good. It could have been, you know, again, it's just those problems that I, I think are, are the main thing off the top of my head. I mean, I, you know, yeah, interesting. Yeah, Pete. I, I want to say this as well. Like, I lo- always love how articulate you are off the top of your head. Like, I need to write notes and stuff on these. I always forget to make my points for sure. But, <laughs> but I, I, I always was... remember the next day, like, important points that I never thought <laughs> to mention. Three o'clock in the morning, sitting in full top. <laughs> I guess that's the reassuring thing about Howard. There's nothing too much important if it doesn't. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> that's why I chose it for today. I love. Uh, just on your Leah Thompson point, it's just like I, she's bringing the Rainbow Fly energy when she's young. Like it's just, it's so nice to see her. It is yeah. a thrill seeing people that are from movies that are not just beloved, they're in your veins, you know, and then yeah. you see another movie where they're not the same character, but they've got the same energy and bundle, and it's kind of from that era, and that's just really fun, really fun. And, um, yes, she's lovely, by the way. I think um, Shoulders of Giants follows her on Instagram, and oh, she always seems really, really nice and having a really nice time. And I believe, actually, a couple of months ago, maybe not even that, that I believe, if I remember correctly, someone had a broken arm and their arm was in a cast, and um, and on the cast, someone had drawn uh, a Howard the Duck sketch, and then they asked Leah Thompson to sign it, and then she posted that on her Instagram account, which is nice, and she was like, yay, Howard, or something like that. She wasn't like, oh, no. So that's nice. <laughs> well, I heard somewhere that she was keen on doing a sequel. She'd be game. And there she'd you come go. into the Marvel Universe, you know, and that's the whole thing. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that's well, yeah, the but then, thing, you know, that's it? like, well, now, but, the, you know, obviously it's not the same Howard, Seth Green and all that. I'll say this it's a bit like having, I don't know, like Chris Hemsworth in The Incredible Hulk Returns as, as Thor. It's like it doesn't quite work in the same universe. It's a different. It's a different, it's a different. Um, but I'm all for them making, I think Kevin Smith was attached to do a Howard the Duck show. Maybe it was animated or maybe not, like a few years ago, but it fell through. I think that's right. Um, and it, you know, there's potential, but indeed, obviously, I'm assuming we're, we've both made a direct sequel to this version of the Dark I, comic, Howard the Duck. Yeah, absolutely, Sheppy, and nothing, nothing canon. As far as I can tell, I've got no awareness of his Marvel run or what happens to him in comics. So it's just an absolute departure from my own brain. Yeah. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, I've got I've got some notes to come to. I, I'm going to be really interested, um, though. Like I reckon this has 
the, there's, a, there's a pretty obvious thing to do, and I've done the obvious thing to do, if you know what I mean. I wonder whether we'll have some similarities in our pitches. Do you know what I mean? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Um, I will say quickly, sorry, before I forget, this whole thing. So when I watched the Howard the Duck film, like about three or four or five months ago, and I thought, ooh, I did have an idea of a starting point. Like, what, you know, by the end of the film, I knew that I was going to set this at some point. And I just thought, well, this is what I'd focus on. and I'd make the villain not this. And that's, and what I ended up doing, and I didn't think about it again until, like, you know, fairly recently, a week ago. Um, I did start off at the same jumping off point, and I kept the villain not being what I you know, wanted it not to be. But um, but the, the plot is then something else. It became something else immediately, immediately. I to just tap into the chefy brain on this is going to be amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, this I want to before we get to the pictures though, just give you what ended up. So I watched this on the train. Into I had two very specific windows to work on Howard the Duck. Like watch it and then pitch it. I just had two windows and um and I uh, I I basically watched Howard on the train um, to and from Brisbane and then the following day I wrote my pitch basically to and from Brisbane with a couple of little um, moments of just slight tidy up. Um, and so with the the watch of it, like I ended up just doing into my iPhone notes, just sort of pausing, writing down, pausing. So you get like a chain of thought here. So I'll give you some bits and pieces as we go. Oh, fantastic. And then, um, <laughs> and then uh, with the pitch itself, when we get there, like it is the, the absolute most extreme example of me, I guess, running out of time, but also inspiration. I'm never really, even yeah. in Marvel movies, I'm not really interested in the big battle. I like all the interplay and stuff anyway before it happens. So, like, the first half of the movie is like eight pages of pitch, Sheppy. And then, no word of a lie, two lines, two sentences cover the second <laughs> half of the movie. So, anyway, there you go. We'll get to that later. And then Howard went home and has never came back to Earth again. Bonk. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. So, should we so excited little thingies, just by little Please, please. I'm it just be, I've done very little notes apart from just where I've made typos. I thought, <laughs> let's just do this pure like that, and you'll get like what I wrote down as it went. So, exactly it's like raw Jimmy. <laughs> Breeders of the Lost Ark, right there. Um, Rolling Egg magazine. I just wrote that down as the very first. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, I bet you were loving all of that, actually, weren't you? Oh, God, Sheps. And as I texted you before this, I've come up with the pun <laughs> I am most proud of, not just in Stog, but in life. And, like, a lot of people know me as a pun man and send me shit on Facebook all the time. And today I'm telling you I've come up with my favourite pun of all time. So, but if nothing else, like, this has given me that. Chippy, this has given me that. And it's given the world that, so that's something else yeah. that we can be blamed for. But, but also, like, it's not, it doesn't take long to come up with it, weirdly, if you calibrate it. And again, you might have done the same pun. I don't know. Like, it's anyway, but would, would you... I don't know, man. You, you've always been the king. You've oh, always now. been the tiller of the pun. <laughs> well, let me get back to this before I start blushing. So, um, the Play Duck magazine, Sheppy. And then the, this is when you know you're onto something very different here. Like the, the things start to shake and you're wondering whether he's whacking one off. <laughs> it's an earthquake gag. It's actually quite <laughs> extraordinary. It's an extraordinary. 
Um, and and then I've just put here, love how in the 80s, aliens always crash and meet punks. Just no Bill Paxton <laughs> here. Um, then, That's so um... true. That's such a good observation. <laughs> Time travel as well. Don't forget it's Star <laughs> yeah. Trek 4. Yeah. Um, and then you've got this sort of, when he's just landed, and there's one of these sort of typical 80s geeks trying to get into the club that they're calling, hey, Frank and Weenie. And that's the guy, basically, and uh, he needs a plus one. And Howard gets foisted on him and he's really disgusted by Howard. And then Howard gets taken away from that situation. And within a second, Frank and Weenie's yeah. gone from disgust to like, then you just hear him off camera go, hey, wait a minute, that's my date. So like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> jumps of logic that just never makes any yeah. really sort of made me very happy and then um just the fact that he's a quack foo master is ridiculous um yeah. and that they really lead into that game they were very happy with that one um as we already said i just put the rain mcfly energy just wonderful to see thompson like this a thrill exclamation mark then I've put, and God nice. knows what this was in response to, it is capital unwatchable, not on a train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put here, there's no real shock at humans from him. So, like, they're all obviously like, holy shit, he's a duck. But he hasn't landed and go, God, look at all these people without feathers. You know, what the hell's going on here? Like, he's obviously got some awareness of planet Earth. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was just really funny. And um, he's immediately just very relaxed and calling people doll for a beer and whatnot. You know, there's no shock from him at the planet he's gone to. I thought it was interesting. Um, the um, I put here the chair PTSD in, uh, in, in Beverly's flat when the truck goes by is the most effective portrayal I've ever seen. An Oscar contender moment. There you go. It's really cool. That's amazing. I know exactly what you mean. That's brilliant. <laughs> you mentioned it already. The duck Johnny that he has in his wallet. Um, the tip that's lots of exclamation marks. Tim Robbins's duck Donald Duck voice, even more right. exclamation marks. The brothel, even more exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> um, another 80s staple. What's the point? Uh oh yeah, okay. There's a Thing where he finds out there's going to be duck hunting, which they never really fully realize apart from a little bit on the plane. Um, but the and he runs off from the, the TV, and there's just another classic 80s like off screen line with a hey, buddy, what's the rush? I just thought it made me happy. Um, oh, did you notice the little cameo from the guy who joyrides uh Cameron's Ferrari and Ferris, like the space oh, race that's nice. with the ear stabbing, like you know, in the bar, like. As one of the guys is the guy from Ferris. That makes he's having a good age. So another, yeah, yeah, like him and Jones living it up. Yeah, I actually had a big LOL Sheppy with uh, the policeman going. The suspect is three, three one, three foot one, and Howard just gives it three foot two. Thank you. That <laughs> just was quite. <laughs> um, yeah, I said the costume, Howard's costume, may come in for a lot of shit online, but it gives a great gulp. So there's a good gulp in it, I always do. Um, nice. uh, by the way, for mine, no CGI. It's it's the old Howard costume. Oh, yeah. Now. yeah. Oh, um, oh, wow. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I've got the um, in the cafe with Jeffrey Jones slowly turning into a demon, and he's got his crazy dark voice going, this will mean the extinction of all human life forms. And the waitress says, you haven't even tasted it yet. That really made me laugh out loud as well. As well. It was really funny. 
Um, Jeffrey Jones' performance is brilliant. I put uh, lucky that Howard and the Dark Overlord all speak English too. <laughs> That's helpful. And I just wondered whether Howard the Duck is making an ex existential point around the fact that, you know, we trust that I'm hearing and seeing the same things you are, Sheppy. But is it that I am just a blob from outer space and I am speaking in a weird demony odd language and your whole receptors are then just translating that every time and you just think you're seeing Jimmy and hearing Jimmy? That happened, that happened in an episode of Babylon 5 I saw the other day. Um, so, yeah, I'll say this. I reckon the, the Overlord speaks English because he's inside Jeffrey Jones's body, so he's adapting in that sense. And I'm saying Howard comes from a parallel universe, which is pretty spot on including accent and vocabulary and so on so if they've got readers of the lost stork they've got american and so on so that's my giving howard a lot of credit in that respect even though you know, can <laughs> i say as well more. that bit <laughs> i i was going to make a note of this and i forgot so i'm glad because you just reminded me so i'm going to mention it now in the cafe when jeffrey jones is totally dark overlording it up and when he gets all like really skanky looking and then blue electricity, I think, and then smoke coming out of him. And there's this one guy who's like a trucker or something. And he says, must have ate the chili. Maybe it's the, like the chef, but he's like, you know, the short order goes, must have ate the chili. And um, must have ate the chili. It made me laugh when I was a kid, I remember, a lot. That always made me roll around and I found it very, very funny. So, so I wanted to mention that. And whilst I'm on the subject of that scene, I like when you know Howard's getting fucked up and he's and the Overlord's fucking Howard up and everything. But also, once he gets annoyed and he turns on the people, and Howard's kind of like, "Aha! It's not nice to mess with the Dark Overlord." And then they all run out and get in the car, still all together. Whether or not Howard's like having to do it, it gives the impression that they are actually friends. And that's me probably reading stuff which is not there but i like that i like that the dark overlord who is going to destroy the earth but he does kind of like howard and howard is kind of digging his stuff on some weird level so i like that so i'm going to give it to the film because i like it <laughs> that's really nice that whole cafe bit goes on too long though it's too long a scene it's a bit silly well not silly just a bit but yeah love i love that shit that's a great point um that whole bit when they're in the the funk cab and the snake thing comes out as well goes into the cigarette lighter. And like it's <laughs> such a great idea and feels very real and tactical. And it's close. And yeah. And then she says, That's the grossest. I'm gonna puke like that. <laughs> it, just, it just takes away from the moment. I just put a little note for producer Lucas here, like which is just a that could have been so much more without the dialogue. If you just imagine that. Right, it's okay, but it doesn't really make me looking at each other, that'd be really funny. You're right, you're so right. But I'm obviously the the, the majority of idiots who's like, oh, like the bit where she said puke. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. But it's, it's an amazing effect and it is nasty. And when you see the creature, I believe it must be stop motion. It looks scary. Yeah. Um, and it's good stuff. And yeah, coming out, the tentacle thing coming out, like a kind of like a massive spider's leg kind of coming out of his mouth. It is nasty. It is the grossest thing I've ever seen, and I am going to puke. So <laughs> yes, I'm with Bev on this one. Um, I thought how we're pretending to be a farm statue in Kiddie Land while Tim Robbins is in the cop car is genius. Do you remember that? Like where he's sort of pretending yes. to be a statue, like filthy. Um, 
until you realize that kiddie land is right next to the science lab so what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway um, and then i got i can't remember how he does it now so i might have to refine this but there's a line with a police guy with plane swoop by and he just says follow them bring them down or bring them back i want that duck dead or alive but i put it the best line reading ever i actually got a shiver as the police guy said nice. it like, so anyway that's whatever that is um tim robbins trust your birdness find your instincts fly howard shit man i want that's that t-shirt yeah, yeah. I, I take it all back robbins you're a genius <laughs> Real stunts and the citizens on patrol style plane chase far too long though, um, <laughs> and uh, gives us the line that you mentioned already with no wings. Welcome to the club. Um, and that and... was the clip shown on all the kiddie TV shows, and I remember seeing it on Saturday Superstore or maybe number seventy three. So there you go. Well, that's nice. I like that. Good old Superstore. Good old Mike Reed. Um, so there's another little note here. And they just missed it of what could have been a great gag where they just they do this thing which is meant to be get out of there duck and then howard says i'm proud of it but they don't do it like that they go the guy goes get out of there duck he goes i'm proud of it <laughs> it just, just doesn't really work but the line could have been right. like that. anyway but that's fine. um i honestly sheps like i was just as I was watching that ending, I was just like, oh my God. Like, you know, and of course, conditions weren't perfect. I shouldn't have been watching it on a train. So it's really on me. But I kept having to pause and come up for air and be like, holy shit. And, I, and I'd look at it and it'd be like, it's still 25 minutes. And then they're in the bloody, <laughs> they're in the warehouse, like about to bring him down. Surely I'm like, are we on for an ET style ending here where there's not going to be a, a dry eye in the house and how it goes home? Um, but anyway, so um, it was it was fun, Shep. So I'm really glad. And I just had two extra things I got from the internet I wanted to share with you. Um, so I'm going to mispronounce this, but Hoik and Cats. Actually, they produce this, I'm not sure. Anyway, but they'll probably direct it. Anyway, um, they auditioned a number of actors um, for The Voice. And he, he's, here's who was in the running. I don't know if you knew this. John Cusack, Robin Williams, and Martin Short were all on for Howard's Voice. And Robin Williams really? worked for a week before quitting, stating, I can't do this. It's insane. I can't get the rhythm of this. I'm being confined. I'm being handcuffed in order to match the Thrapping Ducks bill. So I think they'd... Um, re they'd already filmed it and he had to match the dialogue so he couldn't go off course, and yeah. do his genie style ad libs um, as a result chip zane was cast because the filmmakers felt his nasal voice suited the part um yeah so how about that and then yeah there you go for all of us and for the world i just you know for, for the the stunning concert ending which might be the most 80s thing that's ever happened i just thought i would just read to you Sheppy, <laughs> lyrics of the Howard the Duck song, if that's okay, and you don't mind spending 30 seconds on this because it's really something, okay? <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> you ain't got the class, boy, you ain't in his league. So don't try to tell me that you've got the things that I need. Huh. The guy's original, he's got the juice. Well, hey, look out, world, the duck is on the loose, right? Ooh, get that planet on the phone. Ooh, ain't no waste, ain't no time to waste. Ooh, tell him he ain't coming home. Ooh, done join the human race. <laughs> Only two more verses, but they're amazing. Call him Howard the Duck. Ooh, ain't no way to conceal it. With a feather's touch, I love him apart. 
call him Howard the Duck. Ooh, if it ain't funk, you don't feel it. And he <laughs> shot an arrow straight to my heart. Um, oh. This duck, we say a toast, forget the bumping off of his case. Though he's got two foot and toe toes, as saving him. <laughs> wow. Flipping it. That's special, man. It Very special. special. It is special. Um, that got me. I like it. it. I mean, often I will be walking along and I'll be singing the Howard the Duck. I didn't know the lyrics, alas, but I was singing Howard the Duck. Ooh. But then usually it turns into the right stuff really quickly. Uh, very quickly um, and so I usually only get as far as How the Duck and then it goes off one. but there you go yeah not a very good song and it doesn't help the case towards Howard it is famously Lucas's folly he made a few but that's the one people tend to focus on so that sucks um, yeah yeah well there you go they, uh, uh, wonderful observations Jimmy um, and thank you for that rendition. Seared into my brain forever it shall be. <laughs> so, and, it's, um, and the listeners can't even see the little uh, shoulder waggle you did during the chorus, which I found particularly <laughs> memor memorizing. So, thank you. Lovely, 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 lovely. Brilliant, Jimmy. What a film. What a Was film. there anything else? There's probably no. things that I forgot to mention, but. Not for me, Sheps. I can't wait for your Howie. Oh. My only note that I wrote to myself was quack foo. <laughs> that's that's all I've got. <laughs> and uh, and I think we covered it. So fair play. I think it's from the comics, I will also say. Amazing. Amazing. He's uh nice. Would you like to see him in the Marvel universe, a new version of him? Yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. The version with Seth Green doing the voice, um, yeah, certainly, absolutely. I'm all for it. I have nothing against Have the Duck. I like the film. And if so, yeah, any different version of him, yeah, absolutely. I'm well up for it. Um, so, yes. And I maybe he is getting his own show or something. It wouldn't surprise me. People love that shit. Yeah. So, lovely, Jimmy. With that in mind, shall we, shall we go nuts and, uh, and jump into this? Um, I'm loving it. Um, I'm all over it. All right. Okay. So, I'll go in shall i um here we go jimmy so the time has come howard the duck 2 1989 i figured it was going to be for a second 88 but you know lucas he'd be like three years three years i worked for star wars and that sort of thing now this is interesting um directed by mel smith uh he had already done by this point the tall guy um and he went on a few years after this to do Radio Land Murders for Lucas. So, yeah, we, it's, uh, it's directed by Mel Smith, who That's is not the first time on this, not on this, not the first time on this podcast either. Starring Leah Thompson, uh, Chip Zane, I guess, is that his name? Uh, so. The voice. Ed Gale, who is the actor within the suit. And uh, now I might be getting some of this wrong, but Dominic Davalos, who plays a member of, uh, so the band feature spoiler in this fairly prominently. Um, so uh, she plays Cal, Holly Robinson is KC, and Liz Siegel, Siegel is Ronette. However, this could be a pure, the princesses from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and be different actresses. <laughs> you know, no one's, no one's safe. But Cal, KC, and Ronette are in it. Um, with 
Jeff Goldblum, Woody Howson, and Stephen Tobolowski. So think oh about that. God. I nearly cast Goldblum, funny enough. How fun is that? There you go. Oh, no. I love it. I there just, you go. You want him to be doing the old... <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Great. Nice, mate. Amazing. God. Okay, I'm on the edge of so, my seat. Yes. Okay. All right. So we open in the desert at night, a rustic-looking bar in the middle of nowhere, parked outside a motorbikes, you know, that's sort of a Hells Angels type of... Thing going on of various size, some burnt out cars, a tumbleweed, and a tiny ex-school bus, which has long ago been painted pink, and this is now really faded anyway. The bus is hanging together by uh, the faded pink paint applied long, long ago. It looks uh, like one strong gust of wind will turn this bus into a rusty pile of dust. Um, as we move in on the bus, we do have this one like really nice shot. It's like starts low to the ground and just doesn't cut and moves closer to the bus and sort of cranes up. We move in on the bus, um, but we're passing this bar. We're hearing raucous sounds coming, jeering and arguments and raucous laughter and smashing glass um, and, you know, fist fight noises. And a chair flies through the window and a moment later a, a waitress runs out, picks it up throws it back through the window before rolling up her sleeves and returning inside. And then we keep going and we get closer to the bus and the sounds of the bar fade and are replaced by two voices speaking softly to the other with love and affection. And these are the voices of Howard and Beverly. And we hear Bev say, come on, ducky, just a quick one. And Howard, I'm sorry, but never on an empty stomach. But Howard, you promised but you're about to perform. You should start every performance as fresh as possible. But you know I'm better on stage if I practice with you first. And Howard's <laughs> sighing. <laughs> well, okay, but let's make this quick. I don't want the rest of the band catching us at it again. They always laugh, and then they want to join in. And the camera now reaches the bus, and we move in on the grimy window and look in to see Howard and Beverly sitting on the floor, facing each other, lit by candles, the inside of the bus is all kind of like tie-dye sheets and cushions and stuff. And now we pass through the window and into the bus, ending with a romantic two-shot of Howard and Bev facing each other. And Bev is like, okay, shall I start or do you want to go first this time? And Howard, you are the pro. Feel free to get this show on the road. And Bev's like, okay. And then she clears her throat and she starts singing softly to Howard. When I'm feeling blue, all I have to do is take a look at you, then I'm not so blue. And Howard, when you close to me, I can feel your heartbeat. I can hear you breathing in my ear. Then both of them really, really, really going for it with their eyes shut, holding little hands. Wouldn't you agree? Baby, you and me got a groovy kind of love. And then they stare silently into each other's eyes for a long <laughs> beat. And by lots and lots of laughter as the rest of the uh, band members cherry bombs spill in and they've been watching hiding from the doorway and KC is like get a room you guys and Bev half laughing this is our room and Ronette I will never get used to seeing that and Cal anything this sappy makes me want to hurl <laughs> and KC save it for the stage honey and all the girls laugh and Howard is unimpressed and he tells them to knock it off and he's all embarrassed and then he gives them all a pep talk. And um, so we found out, so Howard has been managing the band uh, Cherry Bomb for, I'm going to say, a year. Um, 
but uh, the girls are highly skeptical of this venue with um, which Howard has booked for them and it's in the middle of nowhere and all the gigs as it turns out which have been set up by Howard have been in such dives and the girls are starting to lose faith just a touch and Ronette is like I mean I'm all for paying our dues but fish on a stick, Howie. Will we ever get to play somewhere where, where bulletproof vests aren't part of our getup? And Howard and Bevy and Cherry Bomb are doing okay, um, but you know, not as not as it's not how anyone really thought it was going to be. Um, and you know, Howard is like trying his best, but he's sort of feeling it a, a little bit as well. And you know, it's just one ramshackle gig after another. But this time, like Howard promises, this is going to be different. He spent the last of their cash setting this up, uh, getting them way out here on this tour. Um, and this one will be different. And Howard is like, respectable, even classy. Girls, this is the start of it all. This is the big one. Trust me, classic cut to the band are fleeing from the bar with bottles and chairs and tables and a false leg and many random items of paraphernalia following them out. And they run full speed to the bus and Casey jumps behind the wheel and guns the engine. And Howard's sort of like, he's sort of like half in and hanging off the door going as the bus peels off away at top speed, which is about 20 miles an hour, with assorted locals chasing them down the dusty desert highway. And once they're well away from the mob, Casey pulls the bus into a tiny gas station. And again, it's all night and deserted. And everyone is angry and blaming Howard, who is equally angry and blaming the girl's behavior for setting things off with the locals and he's had enough of being blamed every time something like this happens and cow is this is the pits that pack of jackals were out for blood man and howard you think you had problems those patrons were eyeing me with intent to defeather and ronette we were only there because you set it up howard oh sure blame the midget with the beak and howard storms off the bus and bev follows him out trying to smooth things over and Howard is like, okay, okay, just give me a minute to wash this beer off, or I'll be uh, smelling like my father's best suit for the rest of the night. And he goes off to the gas station's nasty looking bathroom, and he emerges a moment later, you know, shaking excess water from his feathers, and he returns to the bus, and he stops outside, and he overhears the conversation within, between the band. And that, you know, all the girls are basically slagging him off, and his managerial skills, and Bev is, you know, standing up for him, but even she's like having to agree that, you know, some of the gigs are not quite as high profile or as glamorous as she had been hoping for. And Bev is like, Howie is doing his best and all that. And Casey is like, yeah, well, his best is not working out. And, you know, you can imagine Howard outside with you know, his expressive face, like, oh, and hearing Bev more or less agree with them, Howard is hurt and resentful and then furious, feeling betrayed. But also, you know, it's sort of his own self-doubt as well is like uh so he storms in catching them at it and bev is trying to be tactful and so on and saying maybe we should rethink our strategy but howard frankly acts like a dick um and his hurt feelings and natural irascible nature cause him to be pretty unreasonable like a feathery ron burgundy um and he says some hurtful things to bev and the others saying you know that he's bigger than them anyway and Howard is like, without me, you'd still be playing in that rat-infested back alley dive where I found you. And Cow is like, sure, but with you, we've been playing in other rat-infested back alley dives, just in smaller towns. And KC, yeah, Howard, at least before we were walking distance from our apartment, now we're stuck out in the places like this. Hillbillies don't come here for being attacked as intellectuals. 
and Howard like angry quacking exasperated noise and that's it the feather that broke the duck's back and he storms <laughs> off the bus and again Bev follows him out and she's like ducky please and Howard rounds on her like don't ducky me ah, I'm out of here it won't be hard finding a band who appreciates me a real band who can shape, I can shape and mold and build into the stars that you just will never have the right stuff to ever be. My bill's in the post. And he leaves. And even now, Bev is like saying to him, Ducky. But he has none of it, like shaking her off. And he's like, as he disappears into the night, consider these feathers well and truly ruffled, sister. And heartbroken, Bev tries to soldier on. And we pretty quickly, you know, we find out the girls are left. Um, they weren't paid for this last gig anyway because of the snafu. Um, and so now they're going to try and like, you know, they have to work somewhere just to get enough petrol money to get them back to L.A. Well, I assume they're from, right? Was it L.A. in the first film? Or, That's a good question. Um, I think it was. I I'm going to assume it was. Too quickly. Um, and if, like, I just, I love not, got their relationship, man. It's great. It's so good. Uh, the dialogue is so nice. And the feathers ruffled. You've got all the, got all the puns around that, which is wonderful. And they're just, <laughs> I love it, man. And I think that's, it's just really, yeah, it's, it's nice. And I've forgotten, like, I do really, I think it's really cool. I mean, obviously the music leaves a little bit to be desired, but like the way it's set up with that rat infested cage is really quite cool where they check yeah. the gigs, wherever it is, LA or otherwise. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yes. So that's nice. Well, let's just say it's LA. It's, it isn't really valid whether to get, you know, it's not, it's not really important, but let's say it's LA. Um, so now, they're stranded in this little small town dust bowl, but they play in this dive to get enough cash to make it back to LA. And so they're playing and it's, you know, it's, it's not very, it's, you know, it's, it's a shithole. And here, as they play, we slowly move through this almost empty area anyway in this horrible bar. And we move in on a figure sitting at the back in shadow, stirring his drink with the sort of smoke and, you know, uh, shitty lighting and everything. And he listens to the band. And after the show, uh, the girls are counting their earnings in their dressing room, which is a tiny storeroom filled with crates of cabbage, etc. And they have about $20 each, not nearly enough to get back to L.A. And then there's a knock at the door and the man enters and introduces himself. You see him now for the first time. This is Jeff Goldblum. And he plays Chet Chetterson. That's Chet Chetterson. And no one can pronounce his name. It's like a running joke. People say Chesterson and so forth. And he's always like having to correct them. Uh, Chet is a slimy L.A. agent in a flashy suit, pure late 80s Goldblum. And he says that he loves the band, loves the girls, and he wants to sign them up to his label ASAP. And uh, he says that whenever he travels for business, he makes sure to go to local places, local dives and whatnot to check out the local talent. And Chet is like, I mean, normally the results are, uh, but with you three girls, ooh, my ears pricked, my spine straightened, my belly went all a quiver. And then he rolls up his sleeve of his arm and shows KC. He says, look at this. You see the little hairs on my arm standing as if on parade in front of the president himself. And KC is like attracted to him and all doe-eyed. And she's like, yeah. And the band are beside themselves. But Bev even now is feeling like she's betraying Howard. But the others are all poo-pooing this. And, you know, they're well up for what uh, everything that Chet has promised. And Cow is like, can you get us gigs? I can get you the Hollywood Bowl. Is that okay for your girls? Big enough, huh? 
And so their heads are turned and they're all ready to be rich and famous rock stars and they're, they're taken off. Um, so the girls are whisked away and we cut and we find out that Howard is not having such luck. And we see that he's trying now um, to be like, he's finding, he's looking for the next big thing and he's looking for new bands to sign up and trying to get to be their manager. And the bands he's trying to manage, we see are all pretty terrible and rough and uh, scary. And uh, so now we have like a mini montage where we see Bev and the band are playing like small, but then increasingly larger and more decent gigs. Uh, all the while with Chet watching in the wings, you know, nodding. Uh, this is intercut with Howard attempting to find uh, a new band to manage. Uh, we see him first with some real lugheads in a ratty looking apartment. And they're looking pretty bad, as if the Hills Have Eyes family have found a microphone. And we have music over all of this montage, so we don't um, hear you know, what they're saying, or fortunately hear as they scream into the mic, with dogs howling outside and landlords banging on the wall, etc. Howard trying to cover his ears and then slinking away unnoticed. Then back to Bev and co, as they play more gigs, all sold out. Bev is on stage playing, the band are loving it, and the crowd also, but occasionally Bev's eyes go to the empty space backstage, previously occupied by Howard, and she looks mournful as she sings. And then we cut to see Howard with kind of like a kiss meets gem type glam, heavy metal female band, and they're in this nasty looking makeshift recording studio in a motel room, with like someone drunk passed out in the corner. And the girls are swinging from the lights and putting a boot through like the monitor or whatever. And the lead singer grabs a beer bottle and bites the top off the whole bottle and like spits out the glass and drinks from the jagged edge. And one of the ladies starts eating a seat cushion. And then uh, they all started advancing with intent on Howard, barking and snarling and growling at him as he's backing away. You know, when Howard's like scared, he's like, ah, ah, as he goes backwards. And then Howard flees and he's out the window uh, and the sound of like the whole place being trashed and you know messed up following him as he goes down the fire escape then we see bev and the band now posing for a photo shoot in a glamorous and professional looking studio and they pose doing that whole back-to-back -back with guitars etc really going for it and having a ball even bev is loving it how could you not then we finally see howard and he's at now at a children's birthday party and he's with a band of like child entertainers who are all dressed in disney-esque cutesy looking suits of fluffy woodland creatures across between the chipmunks and Teletubbies and they're singing and boppy, bopping adorably in front of like all these four-year-olds and Howard is to one side looking really bored as, as bored as the children and then this band suddenly go nuts too biting the head off the microphone up turning the jelly and ice cream table picking up a little dog and throwing it to each other across the room like a football and all the kids cheer and all the parents look totally aghast and Howard once more flees in terror and the montage ends. And we have a brief scene with Bev and the band rehearsing in like this lush recording booth at Chet's studio and Cow and C uh, KC and Ronette are having a blast, but Bev has snuck off to use the phone and we cut uh, to the old apartment with the phone ringing, but it's unanswered, which she used to share with Howard. And Bev hangs up and Ronette comes over and is like, don't tell me, you're still pining for the duck, right? And Bev is like, don't say anything. It's just I'm worried about him. It's been weeks and no one's seen beak nor tail of him. I just hope he's okay. And Ronette, are you kidding? Howard is a lot of things, which I won't say here. 
but he's also a survivor. Chances are he's been as good as his word and replaced us in a heartbeat. Trust me, Bev, Howard's doing just fine. And, you know, pure cutting. Howard is uh, fleeing from one more place and is on fire. And there's terrible noises of like wild animals coming from inside and smashing glasses and raucous laughter. And Howard, as he escapes, uh, is like, you know, and he's like smoking slightly and he's like patting himself down. And he says, I know it's rock and roll, but I've seen less raucous behavior at a Hell's Angels bar mitzvah. And it's night as Howard now just walks the streets dejected. And then, of course, it starts to rain and he eventually takes shelter in an alley, hunched against a soggy packing crate next to the wall, using a discarded magazine as kind of a really shitty shelter. But then he sees the front cover of the magazine and it is like, you know, music weekly. And it has a photo of Cherry Bomb with next big thing, screams the headline. And Howard's eyes are huge and he can't believe it. And he quickly flicks uh, through the magazine to the article when it's a double splash spread showing Bev on stage going through it in front of a sellout crowd at some really cool looking venue. And there's also like a sidebar about Chet with smug photo. And Howard scans this, looks at Chet's photo and his eyes narrow. And Howard's like, well, look at this. I take them under my wing. And what do I get? Derision, scorn and flack. Well, if they want in with this bozo, that's fine with me. They made their bed and duck down it ain't. And he makes an aggressive Howard noise, like, Argh! and he throws the mag away in disgust. And he's like, let them enjoy their so-called fame. They'll miss me. They'll all miss me. Shaking his fist at the lightning. And then the crate he's leaning against um, sort of moves and a crazy bum sticks his head out, looming over Howard. And Howard is like, ah, again, and crazy bum. I'll miss you too. Say, have you ever been used as an umbrella? And Howard's like, yeah, and runs out of the alley. So now he's walking the streets, miserable in the rain. Then he sees like uh, the band on massive billboards and on the TVs on display in a shop window. And then a bus drives past, splashing him from a huge puddle. And as he, you know, he's, he's shaking himself off, he sees the back of the bus is another huge ad for Cherry Bomb. And Howard's, bah! Uh, Howard enters this seedy, horrible-looking motel room now, um, really at a low ebb, and it's obviously where he's staying. It looks horrible. And he opens a beer and sinks onto the bed, and he takes a sip, but he can't even enjoy the little things, and he sighs and puts it on the bedside table, and he stares into space. And we cut to the band uh, in a very nice hotel room, and the girls are having a mini party after another successful gig, drinking champagne from the bottle and having fun. And Bev moves quietly away from the group and sits in the adjoining room of the suite alone with the lights off on the bed. And now she stares too into the darkness. And now we have this little intercut and then a split screen with Howard and Bev quote unquote facing each other. And then they start singing mournfully to themselves, a groovy kind of love. Uh, but you know, of course it's perfectly duet in the split screen, the verse, uh, a tear rolls down each of their cheeks and we fade to black. Um, we cut, crowds are cheering, and we now see Bev and the others finishing another massive gig, leaving the stage to raucous applause and toweling off in the very nice room, you know, dressing room filled with bottled water and nice looking fruit. And Chet enters and he says he has some great news that they're gonna play live on TV on like a Johnny Carson show. So let's just say Johnny Carson. And all the girls shriek and jump up and down. And we cut straight to this. And we see the girls in the TV studio 
being interviewed in front of the cameras and the live studio audience, sitting on the sofa along with Chet, and let's just say it's a Johnny Carson cameo, or whoever else they can get. Chet is, of course, taking full praise for the girls' discovery, saying that they never really had a proper manager before, and Bev is trying to say, well, we wouldn't have got anywhere without Howard, but he's cut off, and Chet continues to slime and smooth and luxuriate in himself. And we now see outside the TV studio, Howard is in disguise in his raincoat and hat, and he sneaks into the studio, and the band is now on stage in front of the cameras and the live audience, and after a no pressure kind of intro from Johnny uh, with all the girls a little nervous. They do a one, two, three, four and go into one of their big numbers and it's going pretty well. And Chet watches from the sofa, like, you know, loving it and reveling. And um, getting into the studio now, past the red light recording sign in progress and all of that, um, Howard ducks in and sneaks from behind one hiding spot to, a, to the next within the studio. You know, little steps and hunched back behind like a camera and then a bum 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 and then running like behind like a huge coil of uh, wires or something and then bum 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 and running <laughs> and then hiding behind like a, a huge teamster <laughs> like eating a sandwich and, and then he's like bum 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 and he goes behind the stage behind the, the sort of you know the fake new york backdrop or whatever trying to sort of get up on his tiptoes to see properly to see the band play but he leans too far forward and he puts his weight on the backdrop which then slowly starts to lean forward and topple and howard is like no 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 we're trying to stop it and it but no dice and it comes crashing down and on stage the girls are halfway through their set and they see it coming down on them and they scatter and the huge backdrop smashes destroying the entire set crushing a camera and mayhem and carnage and more things are set off and come crashing down and sparks and lights drop from rigs above and the audience are all gasping and staring and Johnny hides under his desk and then as the smoke and dust clear the girls see Howard still standing you know where the thing came down and um, you know front stage in the whole carnage and he's looking freaked and panicked and Bev is like Howard and even she you know even now she seems like confused but somehow pleased to see him but the rest of the band are furious and Chet slimes in to make Howard look stupid and culpable and Chet suggests that he wrecked the show deliberately and the ba band are beside themselves and Chet like smooch smooches them away and takes them off uh, out the, you know, the fire escape to the parking lot and Bev lingers torn and she doesn't want to leave but the others are calling her from this you know now from this massive flashy beautiful huge tour bus and um so they so you know they're all leaning out the door and saying come on so she's going and howard chases after them calling out to bev i just wanted to see you and kc is like see us fail you mean and cow is like yeah howard you couldn't stand it could you so bev is coaxed back onto the bus and they drive away and now howard is really rock bottom um and then howard watches the departing bus and behind him the lingering chet whispers to a tv producer saying he wants full charges uh, against uh, howard and he says like honestly i think this duck is some kind of a dissident a danger for sure best thing for him is to be put in a cage you know what i'm saying so now two huge security guards step behind howard and he turns to leave and you know walks immediately into their midriff as they tower over him and howard looking up at them then addresses the one on the right here you know, these two really beefy security guards and he says to the one on the right, so which one are you? Do number one or do number two? No, don't tell me, let me guess. 
and then they both grab him and pick him up from under the arms, you know, carrying him backwards with his feet dangling and waggling. And he's like calling out like as he's being carried off. Boy, are you two going to be sorry? Don't you know who I am? I'm going to have your jobs, buddy boys. And you know what I'm going to do then? I'm going to take your jobs and then I'm going to quit because no <laughs> one needs you. I mean, no one needs you. And Howard is carried away and Chet watches with sly satisfaction and hard cut to the metal sliding prison door clanging shut in front of Howard's face. And he's dejected and he's in a holding cell now at the police station among all the many, many colourful types held within, you know, in him. Pure 80s as well, of course. Junkies and hookers and dweebs, winos, losers, freaks, brawlers, stinkers, hairy nutters and sniggering loons. And <laughs> Howard has some choice comments about some of them. Hmm, feeding time at the zoo, etc. But it's all bravado, and he sinks onto a bench, uh, at, you know, against the wall with no plan. And in this holding cage, someone else slides up next to him on the bench, and Howard tries to ignore him, but the guy is persistent. And this is Dwayne, and Dwayne is played by Woody Harrelson, and he's uh, messy, dirty, wild, and inquisitive. And and I'm gonna call him Woody through most of this. Um, but Dwayne Woody says. Hey, little fella, are you an alien or a duck or an alien duck? And Howard, in no mood, I won't speak without my lawyer. And Woody, <laughs> like, wow, but you can't speak. That's beyond the pale, man. Then frowning, comically suspicious. You sure you're not like some little dude in a duck suit, are you? And Howard, having none of it, I plead the fifth. And despite being a bit manic and crazy, um, he... Woody like sticks up for Howard when like some of the caged crazies try it on with him. And as the room starts to take more and more interest in Howard, uh, Woody ends up kind of making it worse. And he's like saying to the whole room, hey, what's the matter? You all never seen a four foot talking duck in a spot coat before? And uh, everyone sort of starts to go, oh, really, a duck's book? And they'll get up and then Howard's like, great. And like, they all like crowd around Howard now. And one of the largest loons now looms over Howard, who looks up at him. And Howard's like, I'm assuming you've had your shots. And to his surprise, this goes down well. And the loons warm to him, digging his style. And the massive loon says, hey, this little duck's funny. And Howard's like, you should hear me sing. And people laugh and gibber. And um, Howard warms to this. And after a few more choice comments, uh, Howard then gets everyone on side. And he says to the rabble, you bunch of bozos want to get out of here? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, then follow my lead. And Howard starts to pace up and down. Because now what I'm saying, what I'm going to suggest may be crazy. It may be ridiculous. It may get us locked away for so long they'll be reading our obituaries in the opening statements of our trials. But by God, if you stick with me and do as I say, and he turns, but then breaks off as he sees the entire holding cell, everyone is just staring at him really eagerly. And the massive loon says, you had us a crazy. And we cut to two guards as they enter chatting and then they stop beyond stunned when the entire cage uh, serenade them with, I'm going to say Duke of Earl. And they're all in perfect harmony. And they sound great. And um, Howard is standing in front of them all like orchestrating. Um, and they're like, Duke, Duke, Duke. Duke of El, 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 Duke and Woody's like, and all of this. And Howard's like looking over his shoulder as he's conducting at the guards, like, huh, huh? 
and then cop one, you know, does the classic. The cops are both bewildered and one does, pushes his hat back up far on his head, like scratches high up on his forehead, like totally bewildered. And cop one says, what are we meant to do with all this? And the duty sergeant is like, this is crazy on a whole new level. The way I see it, we can throw them in a loony bin so deep they'll be singing Johnny Valance till doomsday. Oh, we can just let them go. And cop one says, which one involves less paperwork? And the Sarge looks at him, cut to outside the station and all the crazies and Howard and everyone all on the steps leaving the building. And um, they're all saying fond farewells to Howard and like, you know, swapping numbers and stuff and well wishes and happiness as everyone scatters away. And, it's, and Howard's left on the steps, but Woody is left with him. And he kind of likes Howard's style. And he's like, Woody says, Plus, I've never met a real-life alien before. You wait till the gang meets you. They're going to freak. And Howard, dry, the very words I long to hear. And then this, like, sort of, you know, Scooby-Doo bus pulls up in front of them, a real mystery machine. We learn that Woody is the leader of, like, this conspiracy theory group who are basically just hippies, and they drive about in their Scooby van all over the country and, you know, to Area 51 and shit, so they naturally are very happy to meet Howard. and. Um, they all take off and they're all very, you know, the door opens and all this smoke billows out and, they, and Howard gets in. He's welcomed by these friendly hippies like, hey, far out and classic stuff. And Howard's like, why do I feel I'm already regretting this? And they close the door and drive off. Uh, but they're like a friendly ramshackle bunch of hemp wearing potheads. And Howard is sardonic and dry and most everything he says going right over their heads. Um, and then in the back of this little, you know, Volkswagen van, um, Howard does a rickles and good humoredly ribs all the frazzled misfits and they're all loving it and Howard's like you know hey buddy go easy on that hemp stick what are you gonna do with that t-shirt wash it or smoke it hey lady don't drink all the bung water save some for the rest of us and uh, they fucking dig his style we learn that on any given day they're, um, they're always going to some new wacky location and Woody is like you know um He's a kind of the leader, but like self-appointed. There's also like um, this really nice, pretty flower child spaced out hippie chick, who I'm just going to call Janice, because what the fuck. And she is nice and she grooves on Howard, who obviously finds her attractive and they flirt a bit. And Howard is charming, you know, and suave and all of that with her. And she's all giggles and commenting on uh, her love of his fluffy feathers. And Howard's like, you think those are fluffy? You haven't found the gold yet. But I like to call my little nest egg, huh? And she's like, hoo, hoo. Um, so around a campfire in the desert somewhere outside LA, uh, someone's like playing a guitar and someone else talks about the stars being reflections of lost dreams. And the hippie chick Janice and Howard have a quiet moment away from the others sitting down um, outside the bus or whatever. She's sweet. And now she comes on to him in a nice way and Howard is well up for it, but then realizes he can't go through with it and that he does indeed love Beverly and he can't betray her even if she doesn't know about it. But then Howard's like, I know about it and that's enough. And Hippie is sad, but she gets it, finding it very romantic and making her fall ever so slightly in love with Howard. And Janice is like, I get it, man. I hope that lady of yours knows how lucky she is. Well, if she doesn't, then it's up to me to make sure she finds out. And with that, Howard finds his determination restored. So now he goes with Woody to L.A. 
um, and it's easy to find out where the next gig will be. And they arrive there at, the, at this really nice location. It's just in time to see Cherry Bomb leave with several dozen fans, or maybe more, waiting by the stage door, cheering and waving autograph books. And Howard tries to get close and be noticed, but is very little and is jostled about by the clambering fans. And he spots Bev and he's like, Beverly, Beverly, a few times trying to jump up and down and get noticed as the girls wave at some, sign for others, all looking happy. Though Bev is slightly dazed and not sure how to react to all of this attention. Um, none of the band really can quite believe it still. Uh, no one sees Howard as they all get onto their massive tour bus and Howard gets to the front of the crowd, then ducks under a barrier and runs after them and you know, tries to get onto the bus. He reaches the door, is about to follow when it like hisses and closes in his face and you know, pounds his beak, you know, slam into the metal. So then he's like knocking on the door for a second and he's like, it's me, guys, wait up, open this up, it's me. And then a hand grabs him by the scruff from behind and a massive burly bouncer picks him up and carries him at arm's length away from the bus as it then pulls away and drives off. And Howard protesting, let me down, you lug. Why is this always happening to me? You won't be so tough with a face full of beak, etc. But he's ignored and then is unceremoniously dumped back behind the barrier near Woody, who is still cheering with the rest of the crowd, just happy to be joining in, really. And now the horde of fans disperse leaving a very ruffled and annoyed Howard sort of sitting on the floor where he'd been plonked down and Howard to self. Fine, you want it that way? Then be that way. Then that way it shall be. On to plan B. And Woody now ambles over, eating a corn dog on a stick. Why not? And Woody says, what's plan B, Howard? And Howard gets up and he's you know, really like, what's plan B? What's plan B? I don't know, but you can bet your tail feathers it's ingenious, cunning, and enough to amaze even the greatest of all strategists. And we cut, and Howard's like, okay, Dwayne, my friend, we're gonna make a run for it. And we're across town, a huge glass skyscraper housing the LA offices of Chet's record label, and Woody and Howard are lurking outside like a landscaped yuppie round ball tree, um, looking in the plush reception area and then the security barriers and the guards and then the bank of elevators beyond. And Woody nods and stops and says to Howard, that's your amazing plan. I mean, no offense, Howard, but I, even I could have thought of that. And Howard, you did think of that. You suggested it on the way over, remember? And Woody, confused, I did. And Howard sighing, hey, Dwayne, here's a thought. Why not go nuts just once and don't eat three space cakes before brushing your teeth each morning, okay? And Howard and Woody decide on a better plan than just running for it, and they sneak into the impossibly swanky and posh Hollywood offices inside this glass skyscraper. Uh, Howard saying, no ivory tower ever kept out a determined duck. So Woody now pretends to be a delivery man entering the lobby, uh, carrying a, a large wicker basket, like a big picnic basket. And he announces himself to the lady at reception and the guard next to her. And he says that he's taking Mr. Big Shot Hollywood Guy, exact quote, uh, his birthday singing duckogram. And the unimpressed guard is like, what's a singing duckogram? And then the top of Woody's basket opens and Howard's head pops up and he sings the first few lines of Goodbye, My Coney Island Girl, before Woody then like pushes him back down into the basket and the lid closes again. And Woody says to the guard, Sorry, Chief, no freebies. 
and they get access and ride an elevator up to Chet's record label floor. And I couldn't resist a witty scene in the lift um, with the typical bland music playing. And Woody with the basket share a ride up with like a large man eating a foot long sandwich. And Woody and the large man nod politely to the other. Um, and there's like a, another moment of awkward silence. But it's a tool building and it takes a while. And the large man is holding his uh, foot long sort of at his hip. Um, and Howard's arm slowly comes out of the basket towards the sandwich and it's slowly inching closer and closer and closer and it's just about touching it when Woody looks down and notices and quickly moves the basket hurriedly to the side with the hand grasping at nothing and the man looks at Woody because of the sharp movement and Woody just looks back and smiles and then from inside the basket Howard hissing under his breath I want pastrami and Howard um, and then the large man looks at Woody and Woody says to the large man, don't we all? And the large man looks confused and then bing, and the lift doors open and he hurries out. So now they're on Chet's gold standard record label floor and Woody and Howard exit the lift and they survey the large open plan space filled with desks and cubicles and offices and things. And Woody is like, whoa, Howard, look at all these yuppies. And Howard like popping his, like, just his eyes up from the basket is like, we're pilgrims in an unholy land, Dwayne. And several snooty and pompous looking men and women in big suits and large shoulder pads walk past. And Howard says, I don't think the old singing duckogram routine's gonna cut it in here. And Woody nods and uh, he says, okay, so now what? And Howard, P.O. Uh, climbing out of the basket says, I'm gonna need a better mode of transport. And we cut to the outside the mail room and a male worker emerges and then looks about like confused and slightly panicked as if he's just like found his car you know missing from the parking space and then we see woody as he's pushing like one of those massive trolley basket things filled with mail all around the office with howard hiding inside uh, howard pops his head up occasionally and we see like his point of view from like peeking over the side of like the office and general people answering phone calls and so forth um, and but people keep dumping like letters and then parcels of increasing size on on you know into the basket onto Howard's head, uh, so he's not enjoying that. Then uh, when Woody is distracted by a pretty girl using a photocopier, the male boy catches up to the trolley, looking relieved, and pushes it off. And Howard is trapped inside, watching Woody trying to be super smooth to the uninterested yuppie lady. And we hear Howard being like you know hissing, Dwayne, and now helpless inside. Howard spots Chet um, talking to an underling near a water cooler. And we just hear Chet saying, room temperature, is that really so much to ask? And then, but they pass him and Howard tries to climb out. But then the trolley, the letters and Howard are tipped into a massive chute in the wall, the building's postal sorting machine. And it's those classic, the, you know, the usual tubes going everywhere, delivering parcels and things. But these are actually like plastic and transparent and large enough for large boxes and ducks. So Howard is sucked through this big intricate tube system all over the building, going in head first. Howard's like, whoa! And we see Howard whoosh around the entire office building. And we see multiple floors up and down. And we see like through all of this, um, Howard going up, down, sideways, through large rooms, small, upscale and low rent. We see him whiz through a tiny boxy grey office, travelling right to left behind an immensely and uh, a very depressed and defeated looking drone worker sitting at his desk with like you know, his shirt sleeves rolled up and his tie undone 
a huge stack of files in his inbox, looking moments from ending it all. And that's a Mel Smith cameo. And we see Howard fly to a busy open plan trading places, sort of Wall Street area with people shouting and buying and selling things. And then we, he goes to a supply cupboard with two amorous co-workers getting fumbly inside. And Howard reacts with shock and interest and then more. Whoa! And throughout all of this, despite the large tubes being totally see-through, Howard remains unseen by the distracted staff. And he's up and down and left and right. Then he goes through a large presentation office with like a Hollywood pitch meeting going on inside. And as Howard passes, he sees and reacts to George Lucas in a cameo, pitching his new Star Wars films to the suits. And he's standing in front of the suits on this long table in George's usual getup of, you know, jeans and a check shirt and everything. And he's next to like a large paper stand, you know, um, with a paper using his pointer performing like this old school presentation. And he uses the pointer, uh, uh, we see the large sheet uh, with an illustration of a pink Darth Vader. And George is saying, and this is Darth Vader's sister. We're thinking she's called Darth Bertha. And this, and he turns over the, the, the paper, revealing another sketch of Vader, but this one in like grungy clothes with thick rimmed glasses and long yellow hair. And Lucas continues, this is his brother. Garth Vader, <laughs> party on! And Howard can't believe his eyes, and he is sucked and whisked away just as the boardroom applauds a really happy looking George. And then Howard finally is moving vertically straight up through an office, and he sees Chet now in his office on the phone. And Howard reacts and he like pushes out with his arms to like slow himself down on the sides of the tube, and he puffs himself up. And he slows and he sort of wedges in the tube, head height, right next to Chet. And we hear Chet's intercom buzz. Um, oh, yeah, so he's not on the phone, but then we hear Chet's intercom buzz and his, his secretary's voice saying, Sir, you have a call for Mr. Hemmings of Hemmings Electrics. And Chet is like, ooh, finally. OK, put him through. Hey there, how's my favorite spark? And he's you know, talking to one of those headsets, like hands-free. Um, and he's drinking a coffee, you know, it's golden. And Chet is pacing up and down his office and he walks right in front of Howard, who's you know, in his clear tube right next to his face. But Chet just doesn't see him lost in his own conversation. And Howard reacts when he's standing right there and he like kind of tries to blend in inside this big tube. <laughs> and he's like okay. pretending to like inspect the inside of it, a bit of a faulty as if it's his job. Like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And then he kind of breathes on it and tries to wipe it with a feathery forearm to squeaky sound effects. And, you know, Chet continues to not see and continues to speak on his cool. And Chet, in pure gold bloom, super, super fast, essentially sort of like, you know, Chet is like, yes, they're sensational. That's what we've been looking for. What? Cherry bomb. Cherry bomb. Yeah, four of them. What? Oh, yeah. Not great at all. But what can you do? Am I right? <laughs> yeah, so we're almost there. Another gig. And then we can proceed as discussed. Yeah, a big venue, the biggest, Big Apple. Yeah, the location is perfect, right on the money. The girls, they won't know what hit them. No one will, ha <laughs> ha, and then whoosh, bam, slam all. I'm away, you'll have your money, and Cherry Bomb will explode. Ha <laughs> ha, what? Explode, yeah, yeah, like, like a bomb. Yeah, I know, that's why I said it. Okay, forget it, bottom line, when everyone is asking themselves what happened, I'll be gone, you'll be rich, and the band will take the blame. And believe me, the girls certainly won't be in any condition to answer questions. Ha ha, huh? Yeah, because they'll all be dead. Yeah, honestly, after an explosion that size, not many will be otherwise. 
And if they do perchance survive, well, it'll be the band who's blamed for the explosion. I mean, with a name like Cherry Bomb, they really have no one to blame but themselves. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, well, we'll just make sure you're nowhere near the garden and you, know, you should be fine. Although just to be sure, stay out of the East Coast altogether. Yeah. And then, well, yeah, then I'll all be over. They'll be picking up the pieces for months, or the goo, or whatever will be left. Trust me, they'll leave quite a crater. So just a shame no one will ever get to hear them. <laughs> or maybe that's a good thing. Ha ha ha. Meanwhile, um, meanwhile, while he's uh, been reacting to all of this, Howard uh, in the tube listening to all of this, the letters have been slowly collecting under him as he continues to block the tube. At first a few, now a lot, as well as some small parcels, and Chet is continuing. Okay, so one last time, here it is. The trans beam will be set off halfway through. Do you hear? Halfway through their closing song. The decibels are just so. The event will be of a lifetime and it will go down, 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 down. Yeah, well, if you listen, I'll tell you. Yep, yep. Okay, well, if you listen, I will tell you. This is technology. With the technology you are providing, no one will see it coming, okay? So when it generates enough energy, are you writing this down? Good, because this is the most important part. Are you ready? Good. So when the energy and straining to hear now are being pushed from underneath with this sort of like you know, air escaping a balloon sort of noise. And now Howard loses his grip and with one last massive parcel shooting up underneath him, Howard is shot super fast up and out of the office just as, just as Chet is saying, this is vital, listen. And then he's off, he's up, he's out, out of the office like a champagne cork. And Howard is like, wah! And he flies around super, super fast, like pew, 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 super speed, then shoots out of the sorting port where he first came in, right across the room. But happily, Dwayne is still there. Um, he's sort of opening the mail from the basket with like a small switchblade. And he reacts as Howard shoots past him across the room and into the mail trolley again, his feet now waggling and sticking up from the massive pile of letters. And Dwayne rushes over and pulls him out. And Howard has a long rectangular package sticking out of his mouth sideways. And he spits it out angrily with a patooey. Uh, this is probably in the mail room. So all of this is obviously not being seen by anyone. And Howard, uh, well, so Woody is like, Howard, I thought I'd lost you. And Howard says, thank God for return mail. And they escape. So now Chet has revealed himself to be more than just an LA slime ball, but he has pure evil intent. But Howard missed the vital details. He says to Woody that something big and bad is going down at the band's next big gig in some sort of huge venue, some sort of gardens on some sort of East Coast. And Howard is trying to work all this out when Woody notices behind Howard, looming over the entire area, a huge billboard featuring Cherry Bomb with grand performance at Madison Square Garden, one night only. It will be a, and then in capitals, blast, lots of exclamation marks. Mm. Howard tries to tell, uh, Woody tries to tell Howard, who does the classic quiet, let me think, garden, garden, uh, until eventually Woody gets his attention by flapping his arms and point, massive pointing gestures. And Howard turns around, sees the massive poster, and Howard's like, uh huh, right, I think I know where they'll be. And Howard, uh, Woody, for once dry himself, says, good thinking, Howie. So Howard needs to try and warn Bev and the girls manages to get through to them on the phone, but KC answers. Howard desperately tries to get her to listen, but she's having none of it. And KC, of course, is uh, thinking that he, he's just trying to sabotage them again. And But against the girl's wishes, Bev does get to the phone. And she's like saying, 
to Howard, like kind of apologetically. He's like, Bev, Bev, you've got to listen to me, Bev. Like, Howard, I've had bad boyfriends before, Ducky, and I know that's not you. Yeah, 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 but, but this is just how they all act, and I can't let you get in the way of the band. Not now, we're finally making it. It just wouldn't be fair to the girls. Yeah, but Beverly, this is serious. No matter what, you cannot perform in New York. Oh, Ducky, Lord knows I've had my fair share of bad exes. I just never thought you'd be one of them. And she hangs up, and uh, Howard's just like destitute gutted, uh, and he needs to find exactly what Chet is up to in order to stop it. And he remembers that uh, he heard about this Mr. Hemmings who Goldberg was talking to, Goldblum was talking to, and uh, Woody is like, good work, Howard. How did you manage that one? And uh, Howard holds up a yellow pages and he's like, well, you know, it's uncanny. I just looked under H in the electric section and there it was. So they got the address. Turns out Mr. Eddie Hemmings worked for the government science division and Howard and Woody assume he was a major player. And this is Stephen Toblowski. They go to his offices, which actually turn out to be his mother's garage in Connecticut. Howard barges in to find the guy in the basement in his dressing gown, eating Count Chocula, uh, pure Toblowski. He cracks under Howard's intense questioning and spills. We learn that he's been working, um, at, you know, in fact, at this government place, but as a janitor and has been stealing various pieces of tech under orders of Chet for the last few months. And Woody is like, what for? And Hemmings is like, you know, Toblowski's, I don't know, I just did it for the money. And Howard's, my hero. So Howard uh, gets the necessary info from him. We learn that this tech is super, super top secret, that it reacts to audio waves mixed with a specific decibel level, mixed with the perfect storm of in-room energy that can only be generated by humans en masse, with adrenaline levels read and collected from the air like moisture, all powering this machine. And Howard is like, okay, fine, but what does it actually do? What's Chet actually trying to achieve? And uh, Toblowski claims ignorance, and Howard believes him. And Howard's like, ignorance suits some people better than others, and it suits you just fine, Eddie. So third act, uh, Howard and Woody and the hippies get to New York, and the hippies cause a distraction, allowing Howard and Woody to get into Madison Square Garden just as the concert is gearing up. Woody spots Chet in his usual place in the wings, and Woody says uh, to Howard, Howard, if this whole place is going to go sky high, then why is Chet the Flake still here? And Howard's like, good question, Dwayne. Let's ask him. So Howard and Woody uh, follow Chet as he slinks off deeper backstage to where all the amps and this massive machine have all been set up. The main piece, um, it's all been cobbled together. It's got loads of wires and thick cables and things with this sort of like large electronic electrode on the top, big and white and stuff. Um, he and Chet is like inspecting it all and making some minor adjustments to the equipment. And Woody and Howard swoop in and corner Chet, who is at first shocked, and then he regains his composure. And Chet is like, I'm actually happy to see you. Uh, Howard, is it? You know damn well it is. Well, uh, is there, there's nothing you or anyone else can do to stop me now. And listen to the girls. Aren't they great? Uh, so we cut to the band on stage and the girls are now playing their hearts out um, to this massive crowd who are really into it, who are cheering and screaming. And then behind the stage, the machine is humming all the more 
rising slowly in pitch, apparently reacting to the crowd's cheers. Woody is like, I don't like the sound of this, Howard. Tell him to turn it off. And Chet, who, me? Well, Howard, you'll just have to tell your colourful smelling friend here that I'm afraid turning this thing off just isn't something that's possible. Oh no, did I not say? Oh, this is one-way ticket, my friend, and we're all on board now. Choo-choo, Woody says. Howard, tell your friend that I hate trains. And with that, Woody Dwayne marches right up to the huge machine, grabs the largest, thickest coil of wire and grabs it from the base and pulls hard and the cable comes out of its socket and immediately the lights and the humming dim and drop and Woody and, uh, says, Howard, tell your friend, yes! And um, <laughs> Howard uh, turns and is like, game over, Chet. The only train you'll be boarding is the one heading straight to the big house. You got that. When you get to Chokey, tell him Howard says hi and a beat and Chet is like oh no truly you are a formidable opponent uh, Howard but you, uh, you got wise to my plan and stopped me in my tracks although if that's the case uh, why is that happening and he points innocently behind and Howard looks and the machine is starting to power back up and on the stage the band has just finished a big number with a flourish and the crowd all cheering really loudly and Howard's like it's all connected like Ed the Loser said, it responds to the atmosphere. And Chet is like, oh, yes, 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 and also. And without warning, Chet now speeds right at Howard and kicks violently and viciously and hard. And it connects with Howard, sending him flying back to crash against the wall, sliding down, dazed and groaning. And Woody's like, Howard. And Chet, I'm going to need that cable, my hemp-splattered friend. And Woody, oh, yeah? We'll come and get it, and Chet, hmm, well, naturally. And he rushes forward, and even now he's catching Woody by surprise, and he grabs the cable, and he's grappling with Woody for it. And on uh, the stage, Bev now says to the audience, are you all having a good time? And they roar, and Bev says, you want to hear some more? And they lose their shit. Backstage, the machine is still humming louder than ever, and starting to crackle now with uh, blue and purple energy. And as uh, Chet and Woody continue to grapple with the cable, Howard shakes his head clear a little bit and gets up and then launches himself onto Chet's back. So now the three are dancing around, all fighting for, for this thick, sparking, coiled cable. And they're staggering back and, you know, Howard's got his arms around Chet's throat and they sort of stagger back onto the enclave, like onto the wings at the side of the stage. And on the stage, halfway through the song, Bev sees a commotion and she turns and she sees Howard and she sees everything going on and she gawps and then halfway through a line she just rushes off the stage uh, to the stairs of the band and she runs to the wings and she takes in Woody, Chet and Howard spinning and quacking and biting and flapping and they, uh, they have an exchange whilst Bev is like standing and staring um, and Bev is like Howard and uh, Howard Beverly Grab the cable, get it away from him. And Chet, Beverly, don't listen to the duck. He's trying to sabotage the band, just like last time. And Howard, no, don't listen to him. He's not who he says he is. He's up to something bad, really bad. And Chet, oh, sure, bad. Bad like making Cherry Bomb the biggest band since Dexie's Midnight Runners. And Howard, he's lying, Bev. Please, you've got to trust me. And then Woody pipes up. Uh, hi, we actually haven't met before. I'm Dwayne, big fan. 
and Bev is torn, not sure what to do. And uh, Chet is like, Beverly. And Howard, Bevy, I'm sorry I was such a jerk. I'm sorry I wasn't supportive. And I'm sorry I said all those things about purple hair being for old ladies. But I am not trying to stop you. I love you. And Bev, slightly numb and shocked, is like, you love me. And Chet, panting, I love you too, Bev. Now get this duck off my back. And Bev now runs forward, and we're not sure perhaps where she's going to go, but she grabs the cable from them and pulls hard, disconnecting it from the other end of the, uh, as well. And Chet is like, no! And the power and the machine uh, starts to die again and go down to a gentle throb. Uh, but the power also goes out on the stage, and the amps and the speakers go dead, and the lights sort of switch off, and the crowd all yelling in disappointment. And Howard drops from Chet's shoulders, and Woody also lets go as Chet staggers back a bit and sort of smooths out his suit. And Howard and Bev now run to the other and she picks him up and they embrace. And she rains kisses on his fluffy head and face and beak. And Bev is like, I love you too, Ducky. And then the band now come backstage, uh, making the audience beyond yell even more in disappointed anger. And the girls instantly react badly to seeing Howard. But Bev is like, no, it's okay. He's here to save us. And Ronette says, from what, Pepsi tie-ins? And Howard says, I know we've had our issues, girls, and for the, all of that, I am truly sorry. But you have got to believe me, Chet is not who you think, and he does not care about you at all. Not like I do. No one ever could. You're my girls. And Bev is like, it's true. It's all true. Chet, he's up to something bad. Howie was right about him. He is a monster. And they take uh, the band take uh, Bev's side over Chet and even KC, who still carries a bit of a torch. Uh, she's like glassy eyed and she says like, is this true, Chet? And Chet's like, what? No, 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 don't be silly. Why would I do that to you girls, huh? Uh, but he's less convincing and he's a bit sweaty and shifty and he's sort of backing away a bit. Out of sight beyond the stage, we hear the massive crowd start to yell and some start to jeer and some start to boo. And now Bev and the band and Woody converge on Chet, who's continuing to back up. And Ronette is, we trusted you. And Cal says, and now we're going to mutilate you. And Howard says, never bet against a duck, Chet. You'll always lose. And Chet stops his back against the wall and the band and Howard and Woody converging on him in like a semicircle. And Chet is like, you were wrong about one thing, though, Howard. I'm not a monster. Not at all. Quite far from it, in fact. And Howard's like, funny, you look like one to me. And Chet raises his hand and his fingers reach up sort of under his chin. And Chet says, oh, yeah, well, how about now? And Chet pulls off his face and everyone stares. And Chet is wearing like a big rubber mask, pure Scooby uh, style. And the whole folk, uh, fake face and hair and the entire head like plop off and staring in immense shock. Bev just drops Howard and the girls react and Howard reacts and Woody faints and still wearing his suit, everything else about him exactly the same. Chet's real head is now revealed and it's a very, very large and it's very, very green and alien. And it's kind of like a cross between a massive praying mantis and a boglin. And Howard says, you've got to be kidding me. Chet's an alien? And Chet still speaking in Goldblum voice. Oh, and you're not? I... I'm a duck, and I have backup, says Chet. And as the audience start to angrily chant, we want more, 
we want more. Suddenly the machine behind them all starts to light up again and thrum with more power and more energy and it's, than ever before. And it's humming dangerously, growing in volume and pitch. And Bev is like, Howie, what is that thing? And Howard, I don't know, but I'm willing to bet it goes boom. And uh, alien Chet is now like with his human hands, but massively alien head. Oh, it goes boom, all right. In a few moments, this baby will convert all the power you and your fans have created, causing the biggest rift yet created in temporal history. The fabric of the universe will tear open. I will step through back to my own world, and the only thing left behind here will be a crater, a ruined city, and a beak. And Howard, oh, great, all this for a portal. Another stinking portal. And how it turns to Bev in like a like a phone commercial voice, like, hey, honey, you remember that portal we destroyed? Well, I thought we had such fun. Why not get another? <laughs> and Chet says, I told you, it's not a portal, Howard. It's a rift, a tear in the fabric of this world straight to mine. And Bev, like a sort of a stage whisper from the corner of her mouth to Howard, sure sounds like a portal to me. And Chet is like, rift, a portal, bottom line. Only a certain concoction of elements will open the tear. Only problem, once enough is generated, the energy will combust, knocking you bozos, this ridiculous audience, and most of this city block off the map. And the machine is growing and growing, and blue power and energy is fizzing and crackling and from the huge antenna on top. And now a kind of an otherworldly white and purple fog is being generated by this antenna. And it's kind of moving around, um, like almost like it has a mind of its own above everyone's heads. And KC uh, says to Alien Chet, I can't believe I found you attractive. And Chet says, sure, kick a guy when he's a lizard. And the machine is going nuts and the crowd is going nuts. And KC um is going nuts and Howard yells at Casey and Ronette and Cal to get out of there and make the audience disperse, to get them out, to stop the noise, to calm them down. And the band looks unconvinced, but they all run out onto the stage and they're trying to reason with the audience, but the mics are down and the, the speakers are off and there's no one can be heard over the yelling and the booing. And backstage, the wind is now whipping up and Chet is saying, I knew the moment I first laid ears on you girls, you were perfect, creating just the right sound, decibels, the audio texture to be harnessed by this and get me away from this stinking planet. Finally, you know how long I've been stuck here? Decades, just waiting for the technology, the right sound. And Beverly, incredulous, so you became a music producer? It seemed like the best way, and by God, I was right. But what sacrifices, the trash masquerading as music I had to listen to. The meetings, the banal conversations. Plus, you know how much sushi I had to eat just to get hired at that firm? And now the machine is almost out of control, um, reacting now to the bad vibes from the crowd. And Howard and Bev look at the machine, all lit up and pulsing, pounding, the fog now circling around like a flying smoky snake. Chet says, whoops, sorry, Howard, looks like you lose. In the center of the space, both ends of the fog's tail now converge, crackling in blue and purple energy and lightning, and a vertical line now forms like a jagged tear in the air, which splits reality, and this rip opens, and even now as it grows, we can see beyond uh, a landscape of purple fire and orange skies and volcanoes erupting toxic green gushes, 
and Chet looks through the whip and he says, ah, home, you see it? I wish I could take you all with me. But then I think one toxic experience is enough for one lifetime, right? And speaking of lifetimes, I'd say yours is just about up. Uh, the rift continues to grow from meter, from one meter to two to five. And as it grows, it also widens into an increasingly gaping mouth uh, to Chet's world of poison and gas. And now unseen by everyone but Howard, Woody groggily sits up. Next to him is the thick cable lying dormant on the floor. While Chet continues to exult, uh, Howard slightly makes eye contact with Woody. With his eyes, he sort of motions to the cable and then to the machine. Um, and then Woody looks back at Howard confused and Howard's like exasperated and he exaggeratedly like mimes with his head, the wire, the machine and sort of a go over there motion. And Woody slowly shows signs of comprehension and then nods back to Howard. And meanwhile, Bev says to Chet, Chet, you've got to stop this. I'm sorry you can't go home, but neither can Howard. Neither can a lot of people. But that's not a reason to kill everyone. And Chet, as a great world leader once said, says you, sister. And Bev now to Howard, we've got a way to, we've got to find a way to close this thing. And Chet says to Bev, yeah, good luck with that. Oh, Beverly, you are always my favorite. And who knew it took your fans cheers to open up this thing. And it's their anger that will stop it from ever closing. Too bad they, you and all of them won't be around to see the finale. But don't worry, Bevy, I'll remember you. I'll remember all of it for you. Maybe I'll write a song about it. Ha <laughs> ha. Crawling on the floor now unseen, Woody picks up one end of the cable and slides it back into its socket. Howard now steps forward towards Chet as the rift is opening wider and wider, almost man-sized, and the air and fog continue to swirl all around them and the wind continues to be fierce, whipping up. And Howard says, Chet, you want to go home. I get it. And you don't care about these stupid monkeys. I get that too. And Bev looks like, thanks a lot. And Howard continued taking another step closer to Chet, like arms open and sort of non-threat. And Howard says, and I know I was a fool thinking I could stop you, but there is just one small thing you didn't factor into your long game. And Chet is like, oh yes? Well, tell me, Howard, do. What vital piece of information did I not factor in? And Howard says, you forgot about quack foo. And Chet, I'm sorry, did you say quack? And Bev says, foo, and Howard launches himself at Chet in an extremely impressive martial arts uh, dive and flying kick through the air. And he connects with Chet's chest and they both like stumble back violently into the gaping rift mouth. And Howard grabs the front of Chet's jacket and hangs on, um, raining pretty ineffectual blows on Chet's head and shoulders. But Chet grabs Howard hard by the shoulders and pulls him off holding him out at arm's length, and Howard grips back, holding tight onto Chet's forearms, still trying to kick and peck, but is held out of reach. And Chet, in the, the wide open rift, shouting over the, the lightning and everything, dumb duck, and he looks into the rift and says, looks like maximum power has been achieved. Let's see how you like my world, Howard. Maybe they'll live long enough to mourn your girlfriend's ashes. And right on the cusp of the rift, Chet is about to step through, taking Howard with him, and Howard shouts, Maximum power, huh? Well, you know what they say, Chet. This is the 80s. You can never have enough power. Then yelling at the top of his voice, Dwayne, now! 
and Bev looks and Chet looks and Howard looks and Dwayne Woody is standing by the machine holding the other end of the cable in front of the socket and Woody shouts, maximum overdrive, Howard, and the crowd goes wild. And Chet shouts, no, and Woody rams the cable into the machine, reconnecting it uh, on both ends and the top of the machine now explodes and the purple fog seeps uh, black as if filled with dye. And now in the mouth of the rift with the immense power of all the colors surging around Chet and Howard and the intense wind and the power is out of control and still holding Howard out in front of him, Chet screams, you can't. And Howard screams back, I can. And Chet and Howard begin to get sucked into the rift that starts to collapse. He's taking Howard with him and they both start to disintegrate. And Howard softly to himself, goodbye, my friends. And now in the eye of the storm, there's the briefest moment of quiet just between Chet and Howard. And they exist between worlds as the rift collapses around them. And Chet is like, this is impossible. You can't do this to me. And a hand reaches through the portal and grabs Howard by the scruff of the neck and Howard reacts and Chet reacts and it's Bev and she looks at Chet and says, he's our manager, he can do whatever he wants. And she pulls Howard back hard out of Chet's snatching hands and out of the rift and Howard and Bev look at Chet and Chet looks at them and then the rift implodes and Chet is ripped apart in front of their eyes. Ah! And the rift closes just as Chet is atomized and now everything is quiet and all dies down and the machine is dark and smoking and the wind has gone down to nothing and Woody has collapsed on the floor panting and Bev stands with Howard in her arms face to face and they're just looking at each other seeing nothing but the other's eyes and then it's total silence for a long long beat and then slowly a chant starts rising up from behind the stage beyond into the darkness a voice 10,000 voices all chanting we want more, we want more. And it takes another long moment uh, for <laughs> and they become aware of this and they turn and uh, they turn towards the voices on shaky legs and Howard and Bev walk together onto the stage and Cherry Bomb is uh, stand with them, unsure what to do, but the reinserted cable now sparks and all the amps come to life and all the equipment starts turning on and the lights all flash on and the crowd will cheer and sort of Bev walks uncertainly to like the mic on the stand but she sort of is all hesitant and doesn't really know what to do and she sort of says uncertainly into the mic like you want some more and the crowd goes yeah and Bev turns to the girls and she's like well and Ronette's like oh we've sung all of our songs and uh, a white feathery hand lowers into frame and picks up a fallen microphone and a voice uh, says and it's Howard, and we hear him say, I have one more. And a spotlight cracks on suddenly, just illuminating Howard on the stage, and the crowd dies down, and Howard stands center stage staring up at Beverly, and he sings, when I'm feeling blue, all I have to do is take a look at you, then I'm not so blue. And then Bev takes her mic from the stand and steps into the same spotlight and also sings softly, when you're close to me, I can feel your heart beat. I can hear you breathing in my ear. And then to each other as one, Howard and Beverly, wouldn't you agree? Baby, you and me got a groovy kind of love. 
and the crowd lose their fucking minds and that as they continue Casey picks up her electric guitar and strums and a spotlight falls on her lighting her up and Bev and Howard continue anytime you want to you can turn me on to anything you want to anytime at all and then Ronette and Cal strum their guitars each hit now with a spotlight of their own and they accompany and Bev and Howard sing wouldn't you agree baby you and me we got a groovy kind of love and then the whole band kick it off launching into a triple hardcore thrash metal rock and roll rendition of the song and madison square garden explodes in a good way and the band play their goddamn hearts out and bev howard rock hard and all of the lights in the arena go flashy and the band are letting loose and bev picks up howard and they sing their last line um, now back to a soft and gentle we got a groovy kind of love and they kiss and the band applaud and the crowd hollers in joy and we cut to the wings and we see Woody wiping away tears and like there's a massive attrition like the spark assessing the melted machinery and he turns and looks at Woody and Woody's just slightly embarrassed wiping away the tears in joy is just like this song always makes me cry and now as uh, Woody hoots and hollers from the wings and the rest of the band are clapping hard and the rest of the audience are clapping and cheering and Howard and Bev kiss passionately and we pull out back over the stage and over the crowd and as we pass over the crowd we slowly uh, hear a chant just going over, over the multitude of voices saying Howard the duck and they go into the song as the whole uh, audience starts singing the Howard the Duck song. And as we move back and up and through the open roof of Madison Square Garden, the cheers and the singing rising with the camera into the night above and into New York City. And we have credits. But hold your horses. There's an end credit sting. So you sit through the creds. We cut a bar in New York. Howard sits at the bar drinking a bottle of beer. Uh, the TV above the bar has the volume turned off, silently showing the news with rough handheld footage shown of lightning above Madison Square Garden. And then Beverly being interviewed by Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes, uh, speaking earnestly. And the caption below her reads, Beverly Duck, megastar. And uh, as Howard nurses his drink, a voice off screen speaks to him. And the voice says, hell of a ride you've been having, huh? And Howard chuckling, oh yeah. A real roller coaster. And the voice says, Well, it certainly wasn't the teacups. And Howard laughs and he turns to address the voice who we now see belongs to Jake, the cat from outer space, who's sitting on the stool next to him with a saucer of milk in front of him on the bar. And Howard says, I haven't seen you around here before. First time in the city. And Jake says, Oh, I get around when I can. And Howard's like, How are you finding it? And Jake says, well, I'm domesticated, if that's what you mean. And Howard finishes his bottle and tries to signal the bartender, but is ignored. And Jake looks and then his collar lights up and the fridge door behind the bar opens and a bottle of beer rises and floats over to Howard. And then the collar half dies down, and then lights up right for one more instant and the bottle cap pops off. And Howard takes the bottle and is like, thanks. And he takes a swig and he says to Jake, remind me I owe you one. And Jake, looking pure Jake, says, you know, Howard, I might just take you up on that. And Howard and Jake look at the other and we snap to black and a caption comes up. 
Howard and Jake will return, and it's a crossover, oh. and that's the end. Um, and uh, the tagline, Adventure Just Found a New Pecking Order. <laughs> so there you go. Flipping heck. I feel assaulted, Chet, <laughs> with awesomeness. Like, <laughs> that's a stunning sting. Let's start with that. Fucking hell. I meant to do a sting, actually. I totally forgot to do one. So that's just amazing. The crossover's amazing and, like, just has me thinking this will be the first Sog sequel on a Sog movie. Um, so that's oh. be amazing. Um, holy bloody moly. Ships, you, you hinted at the beginning, like, you know, we, we're going to do the, the movie doesn't deserve what we're going to do to it sort of thing and a joke <laughs> you know but let me tell you man like that was basically perfect it was a five-star <laughs> film it was good it was fun it was perfect the tone was great and absolutely brilliant and you knew as soon as you know how we heard Goldblum's call I knew like you know it wasn't going to be a bomb bomb and we might be looking at an alien sort of shenanigan but as one and that's wonderful it's kind of where you want it to go and it's just <laughs> so I, I jotted down some things as you were going like like you caught Bev's heart man completely she still believes him even after the bloody Jimmy Carson incident is amazing um I had one note for you, which is just so stupid because it doesn't work. So you got the montage, and you actually already talk about the fact as well with um thing. But I just thought it'd be quite funny during the kids' birthday party to then like just be like Howard's feeling low and he's just sat there, and there's a kid just trying to get his helmet off, like you know, but it's not a real helmet. You know, the guys are just trying to play in the kids' party dressed as animals, but you know, and doing a real sport for that moment. It's not coming off. Um, I uh. I mean, it's not just good Goldblum, it's perfect Goldblum all the way through. I counted about, like, just, there's about 100, and I'm not even joking, 100, like, brilliant lines. Like, you know, just lines that should be in movies that you just come up with. Like, I just, you know, speaking of lifetimes, yours is up and that sort of thing. Like these are just good lines movies that are just fucking there, but a hundred of them is gifted to this podcast. We're very blessed to know of you and listen to I you. Really, and, um... I really can't take credit at all. It's all a big cauldron up there. And also I feel like uh, Howard was speaking through me. So really yeah. all credit to, well, to the duck. But the Chet Smoke photo does Jeff take any other kind? I've just put um great uh, <laughs> And with, I can't remember what that bit was. Great hand with him. Anyway, um, the, I mean, you just channel your inner Howard. Howard's voice is perfect. He's just withering. That's what I was writing, not writing, withering. Just got a withering Howard right. all the way through. It's just wonderful. There's even a moment where you give it a bah like that, but like a duck bah. Amazing. <laughs> it was there. Um, you know, amazing Woody as well. Just, just perfect Woody. Um, yeah, just. What was it? Ch Ch even just the adverbs you're using, like Chet smooches them away, and like all the stuff you're doing is gold plumbing as well. <laughs> Amazing. And just like, you know, you even get a Paddington 2 style sort of moment there, like with the goodbye, my friends, to himself. Like, what are you doing? You're creating like this five star masterpiece around this thing. And then, like, flipping it, Darth Vader as well. I mean, I thought I had a good one coming up for you, but that's the freaking bomb. Um, Sheps. Thank you. Just man. perfect. Like, I mean, that, 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 that sign that's B of just awe and like 
you hustled me, man. You hustled me. You, I've got it on Messenger. This is one that's just a throwaway or whatever it was you said. Like, this is one that's was... finished with no <laughs> pressure. And then we get like... It was... Well, good God. You know, it's just like... It was total no pressure, total throwaway. Um, I can't take any credit for it. it no, it you just have to off. take the credit for it, man. It's amazing. And Jesus Christ, and you can piff pat me all you like, but my apologies in a moment for what the listeners are going to have to sit through from me. Jesus Christ. It's not it even bad. one star it what bad. I've got coming. It's not it even bad. one star, Sheppy. I'm telling you, now, you need to be ready. Double piff, <laughs> triple path. Stop that path. <laughs> Um, right. Howard the Duck Returns, Sheps. 2023, nice. deal with that. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> amazing. Uh, Willard Hook is coming back as the director. I'm just going to give you one extra. So you've got Leah Thompson um, as Beverly. She's just a cameo, so brace yourself. I've actually made a decision I now regret with all the heart you've brought back for Beverly there, but that's okay. Uh, we've got Chip seen as Howard's voice and the gentleman that you said before playing Howard again that say as well. Um, I didn't make a note of his name. And then the key uh, main character here, uh, Sheps, I didn't bring back um, either Jeffrey or Robbins. Um, I've gone with uh, Will Arnett. As oh, a, nice. As a sort of a, a, a low-ranked scientist, basically. And we're just going to call him Arnett basically the whole way through because that's kind of worked out okay then you're going to get some other people as we go through there's two other sorts of one other cameo and 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 one other um person again playing a villain and the moment the person turns villainous uh, is part of my two sentences so apologies for that but um you've given <laughs> us a wonderful little gateway thing and like all the cool effects and the the smoke machines and wispiness so anyway the first thing we get sheps is um duck world um, present day is the title card that comes up. Um, this is a, a build on the Duck World that we know from the original. It's pretty bleak, um, a bit like an 80s dystopian New York. Lots of violence, cars on fire, society has gone a little bit crazy. Um, and then basically this whole pre-title plays out with the credits, and um, and then we, but we don't get the extra name of the film until the, um, the end of the sequence, which will become obvious in a moment. The... Uh, the camera um, leaves, or well, navigates the Duckwell carnage and then sort of leaves it and enters a huge skyscraper at ground level. Um, some security guards are in the skyscraper at the reception area watching an episode of Duck Tracy with their feet up on the <laughs> counter. We move past them to an elevator area with a big, big mural of an elderly duck and a company logo, Duck Corosoft. The camera whips up and we are now in the penthouse of the building. This is the suite of my best moment of all time, of all life, of all SOG. This is the suite of the CEO of Ducrosoft, Bill Gates. Jeffy, I'm going to take a swig of coffee of that. You deserve it. <laughs> my favourite, and I can't believe we didn't even mention this on the Indiana Jones podcast, like... Indiana Jones is also the name of the best porn movie like inflection ever. And all it is is not a change of the name like Temple of Boom or anything. It's just a space bar, <laughs> Sheps. It's just in Diana Jones. It's just amazing. Oh. 
And That's then, brilliant. I'm not even changing his name. <laughs> no, no, you've you've bent reality. You've <laughs> twisted a pun to be like a quadruple pun. It's twisted around on itself twice. It's a yeah, it's a whirlpool of pun. So, um, so we have to get permission, obviously, but hopefully that'll be okay. Um, so we see on the walls of Bill Gates's duck, Bill Gates's office, um, the uh, the clippings from the moment of a strange phenomenon, like kind of framed, and uh, a duck seemingly pulled from his home and into outer space uh, nearly 40 years ago. Um, they're the clippings from a red top, perhaps the daily feather. Um, we can assume the reportings are taken as conspiracy theories rather than seriously, but nonetheless, it, it seems that this duck has something of an obsession with them. Bill himself is um, in the penthouse nursing a, a whiskey with one feathery paw and his other elderly duck hand has what looks like an elaborate remote control. He finishes his drink and wheezes as he stands and walks away from his desk. We see some papers, a note from a doctor. We can make out the word terminal at the top of one of the notes. He mutters under his breath, all my life. Taps into his control and a portal opens that's exactly the same as the one that pulls Howard um, from, from the original movie. He looks around the penthouse at all he's accomplished and steps into the portal tunnel and calmly whooshes Superman style through space to Earth and specifically into the lab of one Will Arnett. Now, Arnett has always been uh, curious about the work of Jennings and Blumber, our man's ponies, uh, mm -hmm. Robbins and, and Jones, even though their finds from the 80s have been largely dismissed by the science community. Arnett's lab um, is, is a mess, lots of started experiments, but in the corner, perhaps crucially, a now defunct portal that he's been working away on as a pet project, given his obsession with the 80s too. The portal whirs into life as Arnett's built beavering on something else. It lights up like a Christmas tree. I love Will Arnett's really happy reaction to stuff, like his sort of <laughs> his pure joy, like a magic globe <laughs> when he realizes there really is money in the banana stand. Holy <laughs> shit. Um, he scrabbles around for something to record the phenomena, but nothing works. He ends up pulling out his phone and recording as this defunct portal wears into life. Dark Bill Gates' journey has expedited his terminal illness, and he arrives in the science lab almost on his last breath. And we get a moment of exposition where Will must give the remote control thingy to Howard so he can return home and save Duckworld from itself. Bill, Duck Bill croaks, Bring some of the gentrification from your world, but not the nasty gentrification where the original inhabitants are priced out and the place gets full of assholes on segways. Maybe a few coffee shops, you know what I mean? And Arnett, cradling Dr. Bill Gates, goes, I know exactly what you mean, Bill. Goes, but you must get this to Howard. Only Howard can quack the code. Forgive me. I love puns. And Arnett <laughs> goes, you're forgiven, Mr. Gates. <laughs> Call me Bill. And Arnett realizes the pun is <laughs> fucking amazing. But Bill, <laughs> why me of all the crackpot portals you could have zapped into? Why did you choose mine? Bill is rasping and he passes away with a final power. We get a big swelling John Williams esque orchestral bar bar bar. Howard the Duck returns title card. Wow. Segways in from that into the Howard the Duck song. Um, and we see Howard playing his own theme um, acoustically at a rundown, funnily enough, Yellowstone-type bar with bikers and whatnot outside. 
He's fallen on hard times and he's singing it like a cowboy who's lived all the years and lost all the girls. Perhaps a bar fight breaks out. I love your whole thing, even around the chair coming out the window, then getting thrown back through the window. Even that touch, Sheppy, is just ridiculously brilliant. Anyway, and perhaps a bar fight breaks out as Howard is singing and, and still he keeps going. We cut back to Arnett presenting to a board of scientists just a small room of them but nonetheless a board the chair of which is another cameo adam scott um and uh, <laughs> and and arnett's going this could be the breakthrough and uh scott's like you know god damn it will you know and he he, he goes and he points like you know to basically a little thing that they've got there back from the 80s you know and he points to a nuclear plant it was within the radius of the old science plant near the lake. And I guess the common theory from the 80s has been that Howard is most likely a harmless radioactive mutation rather than all this make-believe crazy alien stuff. And um, and and so, you know, Adam Scott gives it, you know, come on, this Howard, he was more, he was really just a harmless radioactive mutation on it. And, uh, and Arnett just goes, that fucking speaks. <laughs> and Scott just goes, who knows what the waves did to his brain? You know, this other duck you found is probably the same. We have other priorities right now than that. And, um, and Arnett just goes, he didn't just speak. How was the best damn guitar player of his or any other generation? How do you explain that? And Adam clicks his pen and uh, says, I think we're done here. And just uh, we cut to Howard uh, sitting at the Yellowstone bar, just lonely. Um, and uh, <laughs> now we could make more of Arnett's pilgrimage interstate here, but I'm going to go straight to Arnett arriving at this Yellowstone bar and just giving it a, they said I'd find you here. I'll have what he's having, you know, that kind of scene. And we have Arnett and Howard having an exchange. Howard doesn't believe him. Um, and he sort of gives it a whatever, laugh it up. You may not believe my story, but there's no need to mock it, Sonny. And um, Arnett's phone goes. It's his mum calling. He silences it, keeps talking to Howard. The phone goes again, and he goes, sorry, Howard, double call. you got to take a double call for your mom, right? And uh, Howard doesn't respond, just gives him a withering look. Arnett answers the phone. His mom is Beverly, Leah Thompson. He got his message about meeting Bill Gates. Wow. Howard recognizes her voice, and his interest pricks up. Your mother is Beverly? Bevy? And Beverly gives it a howie. Howard, it's been... And Howard's like, it's been so long, over over 30 years. And Arnett's like, 30 years, huh? Well, if I didn't want to play the card, Howard, I knew you guys were friends from the band, but you know, they go, and Howard just gives it, oh, we were more than friends. Am I right, Bevy Boob? So that Leah just giggles, Howie. And Will's face goes from chipper to absolute like shock and disgust like that. And um, <laughs> how we have a little catch up briefly. Beverly is single now, living on the east. And um, this this is just a cameo from the Thompson. But um, but after the call, uh, Howard is like is still you know maintaining. Look, I'm not going to go. Um, I can't go. I have a life here. I'm a respected member of this community. And the barman just goes, "Hey, duck shit, quit ruffling feathers. <laughs> You're up next." <laughs> and how it just looks at uh, Arnett and just goes. Where's this control again like that? So anyway, um, <laughs> Will is sort of like there, but like still processing the idea of his mother and Howard getting it on and just stunned, like silently sort of hands the control over to Howard. Howard takes it, starts examining it and just goes, you know, this could be a ticket home. And it sounds like it could really help with you with your credibility. And um, 
and it is still just in his own world and just goes when exactly were you and mom together uh, uh, touring together and uh, how it just gives it a oh the late 80s and he goes oh okay okay and then uh and it's and then how it gives it a I think we split up in like 91 or something and Arnett's still a bit confused. Mm. Howard looks at the control uh, and continues to sort of examine it. It's super complex. They go out to the car park, laugh about a little, motorbikes, et cetera, around. Um, the control opens, portal opens, um, and the, the pair step into it and are transported. But as they tumble, we hear Howard say, this doesn't look right. Um, then they come back and through the portal and land on a planet on a on a, in a spot that looks very much like a an embarked car park that looks almost identical to the one we've just been in with boat bikes and stuff etc. And Howard says, "Ah, it didn't work." And Arnett's like, "What do we just do a loop like a boomerang?" And Howard goes, "I don't know." And shoves the controller to Arnett and goes, "Thanks for trying, kid. I got to go play, otherwise I'm not making rent." Say hi to your mom for me. Hey, no. first time someone said that about Leah Thompson. Anyway, um, uh, Howard leaves Will Arnett in the car park and enters the bar. As soon as he enters the bar, we hear the music scratch in the bar stop. And now uh, we hear Howard shriek. Will Arnett runs in behind him. The establishment is full of foxes, all in human clothes, all teeth bared. The boys have landed oh, wow. in the fox world. <laughs> they flee the bar. Find it assuming there's like a fox world, like a duck world. That's kind of the thread. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, they that's flee amazing. the bar, find a bike in the car park, and there's a fox in van versus bike chase down the road. Will Arnett is driving the bike, and Howard is trying to get the control to work when he fumbles it, and the car of foxes that's pursuing them runs over the control. Will pulls off an Uber move, 180s the bike, and the foxes are derailed for a beat. Um, Arnett and Howard get back to the control, pick it up. Um, it's fizzing with electricity and a little bit broken, but they managed, Howard managed to get the portable tunnel thingy reopened um, and they are transported again, just in the nick of time to evade the foxes. Only the control is seriously malfunctioning now and they end up not in Duck World, but a seemingly another abandoned planet. This one is lush and green like Earth, but there seem to be no life forms in the vicinity when they land. The control fizzes a final time and dies. Howard is like, oh, great. And now we're stuck here. I should never have let you talk me into this. And Will Arnett is sort of a little bit more of the resourceful one, not panicking at all, and sort of suggests they head due north. There must be something or someone up there that might be able to help. But the pair trek, Fellowship of the Ring style, and as night falls, they make camp. And Arnett takes a moment to ask Howard a little bit more about his time with his mom. And when exam exactly the, the band broke up with his mom and how gives him 1991 again and Will Arnett just says it's just I never knew my dad and well I've been going through some changes and Arnett opens his shirt and instead of a hairy <laughs> small feathers of sprout <laughs> and then we get full Arnett mug mugging and he just says oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Howard Gravitas just says my son, <laughs> and they hug. And, uh, <laughs> and anyway, um, in the, Arnett wakes in the morning, we get close to on Arnett, and jumps, startled. A spear is in his face. Off screen, we hear Howard say, don't be alarmed, son, they haven't plucked me yet. And a small army of pigs has, has them captured. 
Um, so now we're in pig world instead of fox world. Um, <laughs> and Howard is hanging from a branch between two of the pigs. Um, I'm thinking Return of the Jedi style vibes with the Ewoks. And <laughs> Arnett pleads with them to take them to their leader and we can straighten this whole thing out. You know, and the pigs grudgingly agree. Um, they seem ready to eat Howard, but he seems to be a little bit more superfluous to them, but they're kind of a bit more deferential to, to Arnett. Um, so they, they they arrive at Pig Village, which is this glorious walled colony of happy, happy vibes, kind of good placey. And um, the leader of the, the pig world is brought out with great fanfare and revealed to be Will Ferrell in a long smoking jacket. <laughs> I'm thinking funeral crasher will, but with really long, flowing, <laughs> curly locks. And he gives it a, a gentleman. Uh, and it transpires Feral has been living with the pigs, having been accidentally pulled from Earth Howard style a couple of decades ago. So he's had the Howard experience with Big World. Amazing. Um, and he's being super duper friendly. He's like, of course, of course, you must be pooped. Get him down from there, that kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, and Arnett says, this is my friend Howard. He's had a similar journey to you. And uh, Farrell's like, oh, I know Howard. I didn't get pulled till 93. And he turns to Howard and says, though the quack and anger is still my favorite song, man. And I take the transported Farrell um, that the pigs were playing around with is actually now redundant. But there could be some parts. You know, why don't you leave that control with me, clean up, and we'll see what we can do for you. And anyway, so pig life is amazing, I put, you know, and there's lots of opportunities for lots of pig world gags. Um, by clean up here, we're talking about a pair of mud baths as well. Like, so Arnett and like <laughs> Howard are in their mud baths together. Maybe Arnett in the mud bath I put gives it a oink oink, my good man, my bet. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? And, uh, and Arnett having a little father son, like little connection moment, goes, hey, it's European vacation. Did you see it, Pop? That. And Howard goes, are you kidding? Chevy and I both took a leak in the Queen's toilet after the UK premiere. Um, that is, <laughs> the, the years work out for that doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, so anyway, the pair regroup with Feral uh, that night. And Feral hands back the control to the boys and just says, sorry, fellas, no can help. Take the night and we'll see you on your way in the morning. And Arnett's just like, hey, we just got here. Is there any chance we can stay a while while we get this all sorted out like that? And Feral comes in close to Arnett, like too close, you know, nose touching. Mm -hmm. And I put in an exchange that probably takes 20 takes in terms of possibility of corpsing. Mm -hmm. He just gives it a, now you listen to me. I got a pretty good thing going with the piglets here in this little hamlet. When word gets to rhyme, I let anyone in. And Arnett just goes, are you just doing pig puns right now? And we'll start <laughs> to like tear up, but like in that angry Barely tight I haven't got a sausage. What you're talking about? I can't handle this right now. You're eating me. Frank, help me out here. And there's a huge pig called Frank. And he pins Arnett. And um and Arnett Phil goes um back to being a nice guy again. He's absolutely all over the place. He just goes, I'm sorry, guys, you're out like that. And um, and so basically, um Arnett and Howard are on the other side of the wall, thrown out of pig world. Only um, Howard then notices a key piece of the control they had is missing. And it suggests Feral has actually stolen it, maybe to activate the dormant portal in Pigworld. And that's our moment. Feral is the new Dark Lord, tries exactly the same gameplay as Jeffrey Jones on this island, uh, you know, on the Pig Island, and, uh, and is foiled 
by the father-son duo. This is my two-sentence moment, Sheppy. And <laughs> perhaps Howard builds on the genius give the duck wings, plane maneuver, manages to get some branches together and hang glide back into the compound or something, you know. Um, but essentially, yeah. they foil it. Feral comes back to being a good guy in the same way that Jeffrey Jones does. Stays behind on Pig World, where he's very happy with his life of piglets. Uh, the end of the film has them activating the portal. Uh, Howard and Will Arnett landing on Duck World. Um, Howard showing them what he's done and where he's from and giving a big cheesy speech about the benefits of Western capitalism. And then I've just <laughs> a, a really um, cute, cheeky little plump ducky has eyes for Arnett and Arnett has eyes for her as well at the end. Do you know what I like about so many of your pitches? Is that they're kind of like backdoor films for like really for example really good will arnett and will ferrell films like everything you describe is so perfect and in these surroundings as well like my friends and all of that it's it's so so spot on i i bloody love it it makes me it makes me joyous so um that's all great and you can definitely do a pigs will fly joke during that it's good stuff and, I think and again how are the duck needs but yeah sorry man what were you going to say i need to see the third film where it's duck world and it's what happens on duck world um that's that's something pretty special as well wonderful 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 love it i, mean, I think Having, having, I will say, I'm pretty sure Will Arnett and Leah Thompson are close, pretty yeah. close in age. <laughs> <laughs> He's always saying on his podcast that he could play 30. So this would be a good time to put it to the test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a whole uh, thing like he was going to have, um, Arnett wouldn't agree to this because he is quite a vain character, self-confessed vain character in that way. And like, I was going to say, like, you know, um, when he shows his feathers, there's going to be a moment where he, uh, and Al goes, I did wonder when I saw you, the, your webbed feet there. Like, you know, and, and yeah. like, my feet, there's nothing wrong with my feet. What are you talking about my feet? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, you know. But, yeah. Yes. Um, and you know what you could say, because he's part duck, so he's aging quicker. That's fine. Easy rewrite. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a but quick I don't know what it means for Bev and, like, you know, that she was either so promiscuous after Howard and her split up when they were on the road or whatever, you know, um, that she didn't necessarily know who the dad was and didn't see any feathers so didn't want to alert Howard or whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? You just don't, like, I, yeah. I prefer the hearty, nice, groovy kind of love that you conjured up for them. Uh, yeah, I like to think fun. that uh, Arnett came out of an egg. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe she just had a massive run of ducks but I really want to see her like a that certainly explains my, my baby photo and it's him coming out of an egg. That would, <laughs> that, that would be something I'd like to see as well. So, I guess the yolk really is on me. Uh, so, yes. Yes, damn it. Um, no, there's a lot of juice there, Jimmy. A lot of juice. There's juice. I, I wish I'd come up with a bit of a better ending. And like, but, you know, but, but fair pleasure. Because I, I thought the whole thing was, was going to be set on Duck World. And that was kind of the double spin on how the duck returns, you know. But I, um, I just, uh, I never got there. I got, I got waylaid uh, in Pig World in a mud bath. Um, but there, well, I'll say this it, again: like the first film, it could be like a real film of two halves. 
and the halfway point could be when um bell's mask drops and he gets the controls and he's gonna like you know go and get back to earth or whatever but he accidentally goes to dark world and the second half of the film is howard and arnett follow Beryl to dark world and he's trying to be ruler of dark world now and they have to stop him for the for the finale nice. and it doesn't have to that. be a huge thing and then the pigs could spill through and the fox could, could spill through a bunch of badgers a couple of otters and there could be a, like a great big set too at the end with all loads of different people um, from all sorts which would be fun as well i could dig it with like a cameo <laughs> from et <laughs> why not <laughs> there's a lot there there's a lot there i like it i like it um it's no it's it's nothing but juice uh wonderful oh. very tasty jimmy i like Definitely. it well bill gates is now for the ages for me i'm very well, proud go. of it and happy with that so uh thank you for giving me the chance to watch how the duck and come up with that fun shit so it's lovely honestly um, that's what it's all about <laughs> um, all right man final order of business yes. hey now, I've got a list at the bottom here of things. I'm just going to choose one now. I think I know which one I'm going to do, to be honest. Yeah. So, look, um, this is one that we have to get to. I think it's it's an important one probably to do uh, insofar. And it's it's another one of these slightly mean-spirited ones insofar as there is a sequel. I think I'm asking you to dismiss it. Um, but, uh, but but you know, I think it's un you'll understand. Um have you, have you seen this isn't it by the way but just quickly <laughs> john wick four yet no not yet oh us neither we're hoping maybe friday yeah no not yet not yet mm -hmm. so we'll see but but there's a there's a there's a, there's a link sheppy because this is a <laughs> to a keanu reeves movie oh hang on and that sequel is to speed please sir oh so that's, that's my stipulation. Like Keanu has to be back. That's it. Basically, yes. you can do anything else you like. You can set it when you like, etc. But I want it to be right. um, the return. Oh, that's nice. For it. Yeah. So um, I feel like Cruise Control, which I've never seen, by the way, and maybe mm. I'm not even going to bother for this. <laughs> Just but have you seen Cruise Control? I saw it at the cinema, son. Oh my god, was it good? No. <laughs> 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 no, it, it wasn't. <laughs> so no, it's not. I don't think it's mean spirited to suggest an alternative. Um, it is mean spirited for me to say that cruise control shouldn't exist and the underbond should be ashamed of himself. So I'll put that out there. But yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm well up for for a Keanu too. Um, I'm, I'm I'm loving it. Yeah, never mind the bullocks. <laughs> Nice ships. Nice. Well, how do we um, quack on with our lives and sing uh, to a close? Jimmy, as always, on a wing and a prayer. That's very nice. <laughs> <laughs>